This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. And this is part two of the 2017 Psychology is Dead Top 50 Wrestlers Special. I am Quentin Moody, and less than 24 hours removed from part one of our adventure, Timothy is back with me to get back to our, to get back to get back to doing our um, top 50 list. So, uh, Timothy, no lollygagging. Are you ready to get back into it? Let's do it, man. This is seamless. Right into it. All right, I'll start off with my number 30. My number thirty guy you probably have higher, Mark Haskins. Um, ooh, he actually he should be higher. Yes, I do have him higher. All right. So, so my three. number thirty is a guy who I think you said earlier, if I remember correctly, it's Mark. Also, Mark Andrews. Uh, I had Mark Andrews at thirty-two. At thirty-two. Okay, so pretty close. Uh, Mark Andrews, obviously, banner year for him as well. Um, not just in the fact that he kind of broke out in WWE in the UK Classic. Um, he also was having really, really fantastic matches before that in Progress, in Attack Pro, in um, PWG. To me, he was actually one of the best. Uh, uh, baby faces in PWG. I think uh, he maybe had like one or two matches this year, though. Or actually, he may have not had any matches this year, technically, um, in PWG. But he uh, he's just one of the best baby faces on the planet. Um, and he goes out there and he knocks out phenomenal matches with everyone. I mean, Pete Dunne, Mark Haskins, Kid Lycus, uh, Will Ospreay. Uh, Tyler Bates, I mean, Dan Maloney, and then you add in his tag work, um, already, like I said, talking about that with Eddie Dennis, pretty much, I hit all of his tag work stuff, but if you take that... Progress Boston was really damn good. Yeah, you add in uh, all of his singles work on top of that, the Flamita match at Super Strong Style 16 this year, um, the tagging with uh, Morgan Webster in some places... Uh, you know, just like, yeah, just amazing underdog baby face, super get into him. Because honestly, I mean, he's got this pop punk, Blink-182 bullshit vibe that realistically dr- would drive me crazy normally. It's just not my not my thing. But with him, uh, it really works because I just buy into him as the underdog. I really get into his, his work and everything he does. So he's just super likable, super nice guy actually outside of the ring too, which, um, you know, as of right now is very important about what you're like outside of rings and how the way that you treat the fans. And he comes across super, super authentic. He runs Attack Pro, um, which I love their, you know, kind of their slogan for the company is, uh, we do it for the money, obviously, right? Just to really kind of push it over the top that they're all about their, uh, 
their art form. He's got the Defend Indie Wrestling brand that he's been, you know, running for years and years, continuing to do that. His band is taking off. Uh, I talked about big time important, kind of really enjoyed it. Um, talking about his, his angle with Pete Dunn at Download Fest this year. Uh, in WWE that was all over the internet and such a big deal when I was doing the Making the Case for Pete Dunn uh, podcast with Jamesy. Um, just like how he's involved with that super creative stuff as well with Pete Dunn. Him, I mean, he's really, Pete Dunn is like one of my top guys preeminently. I uh, really enjoy him, but Mark Andrews is really like his right-hand man when it comes to creativity work. I mean, they're, they're actually the kind of super close confidants together. They work together on everything, so... I mean, you kind of have to understand that that what they do in wrestling goes part and parcel with each other. The guys are are definitely like involved with each other's careers so much. Um, So yeah, I mean, and then like I said, on top of that, just phenomenal matches, everything with FSU, um, and then the turn with the FSU breakup, um, leading into hopefully an interesting storyline with uh, Eddie Dennis going heel on him. Uh, could definitely be something to look forward to. So, yeah, I'm just a uh, breakout year for him. Again, another guy who suffered a little bit from, you know, being signed to WWE, meaning that he worked a little bit less or at least was a little bit less high profile for times in the year, especially when they're trying to uh, to figure out who's allowed to do what, where. There was that kind of time in the middle of the year with streaming services and all the other issues. And then, where and then Mark Andrews did get hurt early in the year, too. Yeah, he did get hurt as well. Um, and then, yeah, he did get – his bookings kind of were cut back a little bit just because you didn't know what he, where where and what he could do. So uh, realistically, I mean, I think that this is actually kind of a low spot for Mark Andrews uh, based on his talent. But this is kind of where he's at based on his, uh, his output for the year. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said there. Um, I feel like Mark Andrews might be the most reliable guy in wrestling, honestly. I feel like you could just put him in – any promotion, any setting, in the tag team match, singles match, opening match on the show, the main event, the first match after intermission, whatever. I feel like Mark Andrews is always going to deliver for you. Um, probably since Sami Zayn just hasn't been able to do much the last couple of years and has just been turned heel recently too, probably the best babyface in wrestling, the best consistent babyface in wrestling since there's no one that's... um. I guess as wholesome through and through and wrestling as Mark Andrews, besides maybe Kyrie Hojo. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I've loved Mark Andrews in pretty much every single match he's in. Um, I wish I could have him higher, but like you said, the output was kind of hindered this year with signing that WWE contract and also getting hurt. So while I think every time he showed up on a screen, he was um, awesome, but he didn't have as much high end stuff or the opportunity to have as much high-end stuff as the guys ahead of him. Yeah, that's a completely... that's. A, I mean, that's a fair take, and that's exactly the same kind of opinion I have. And you talk about the best babyface. I mean, I think that he's kind of hands down the modern wrestling right now's best babyface. I mean, I don't know. Kerry Hojo is a good comparison for sure, or a good competitor for him in that regard. But, um, yeah, there's just something about him. You get instantly get behind him, no questions, no matter where it's at, what the setting is. All right, so my number 29 is Massive Yarn Simmons. I don't have him on my list, and it's just because I got slightly behind on WXW, and realistically, I've liked a lot of his work, but I've seen him as kind of 
a lot quintessentially like the third or the like third to fifth most important guy in the company right. um and never really the most important guy this year in any setting mm. um i can see where you're coming from on that but i think where yearn has succeeded for me in that in 2016 i definitely thought he was all character a very great character um character keep in mind but i thought that he was really getting by based on the character and that his in ring wasn't really matching up um, I think since turning babyface this year, that has completely changed. And while the massive yearn Simmons character is still very entertaining, he is very charismatic and very naturally likable. Um, he speaks some um, very great English, and his promos in English are always awesome to me. Um, his interaction with everybody on Shotgun, whether it be Walter, David Starr, um, the Mac, like whoever it is, I think he's always great on Shotgun and probably the best guy on it on a week to week basis. Um, but besides that, I think in the ring this year, he's just been awesome. I think the match with Walter from the first London Calling show, um, back in January was fantastic. I thought the title match against Axel Dieter Jr., um, from night two of 16 Carat was great. I thought, uh, his short, um, brief title run with the WXW title was very good. Uh, even up until he lost the Bad Bones, in which was admittedly a very screwy finish, I thought those matches were very good, um, even being hindered by interference. The, uh, WXW World Tag League run with David Starr as massive product. Uh, they didn't have as many great matches as I was hoping, but, they did have that uh, opening round opening round match against A4 that I thought was the best match of the tournament. They had the final against Ring Comp that I thought was great too. So he has the tag stuff the most. He has just enough singles matches that I think um, puts him ahead of some of the other WXW guys like Bad Bones, um, like Demac, like Ilya. Um, and I think he just has the personality to back all of it up too. Uh, so yeah, that's my case for Yearn. I can see seeing why he's like um the maybe fifth most important guy in WXW this year when David Starr, Thatcher, Walter, um, Ilya, Bad Bones all exist. But I think Yarn Simmons, in a year where he's kind of been toned down, has shown that he has a lot of range. And I think this is also prepping him for a possible 2018-16 carat win. Yeah, and that's definitely fair. And I would say the, that you're right about the... The tag league run for them, they really felt like they were the, the benchmark and he was a big part of that. They, they did have that, you know, probably I agree with you. I actually think that the A4 versus massive product match was the best match of the tournament. Um, but a lot of the rest of the time, they felt like they were kind of the gold standard. Um, while they weren't always having the craziest, spottiest matches, they were at the level of the top. They really felt like the, the kind of clandestine winners of the whole thing. Um, which actually did, did help lead into the storyline. Um, with, uh, I mean, I think me and you both even talked about it that it, we thought it made the most sense because they clearly weren't going to go to uh, David Starr feuding for the championship before Ilya's story kind of finished, and it seemed like uh, Yearn was going to need something to do outside of the title picture as well. So putting them together and having a nice tag title run would have been perfect, but they kind of were able to use that expectation and twist it, having them lose to Ring Comp in the finals there to uh, to really kind of help actually in some ways catapult them, which is another thing that I think Yearn probably doesn't get credit for, um, as he talked about there, is that he's he's a guy who has won and lost that title a bunch of times, the WXW heavyweight title, and uh, it doesn't affect his overness in any way. He doesn't nope. really need the belt. Um, he works with it, and he actually feels like a guy who, when he has the belt, he elevates it yes. and makes the belt feel more important. 
But when he doesn't have it, you don't feel like, oh, he's weaker because he lost the belt, which is really impressive. So, uh, you know, maybe I was unfair on him and he should have been a little bit higher. He should have been on my list on my top 50 here. But uh, I just couldn't I just couldn't get him there based more on the eyeball test than anything. But uh, speaking of that, going into my next one, she was a uh, eyeball test that was a negative on getting on the on my list for a long time until I really thought about it. And I think I was just being unfair. And that's Tony Storm. Um I don't know if you have her on your list. No, I don't have Tony on my list. Okay, so the thing with Tony Storm is that I wanted... I really had a, like a kind of negative taste in my mouth. I, like I said, eyeball tests. I didn't feel like she deserved to be on the list. Um, based pretty much primarily on what you talked about yesterday with the Progress title thing. I really felt like Progress gave her the title as a swerve. There was no real point to it. They're just trying to, to shock people. I stopped and thought about it, and I'm like, well, Tony Storm was actually in the, I think it was the, it was either the first or the second women's match, that four-way um, in progress. I can't remember it wasn't the first the fir- match. The first one was uh, Super Strong Style 2015, and that was um, Jenny, Jenny versus, versus Pollyanna. Pollyanna. And then yeah. I believe that you're, you'd be right in saying that was like the second match. It was that four-way. The second match was the four-way that had Dahlia, Polly, Jenny, and Tony, and yeah, Tony, I mean, she is progress through and through. She's was in the second women's match, so I shouldn't have really had that negative uh, feeling about her winning the title. Um, so then when I was doing, kind of now putting my list together, I kind of eventually I got over it and I, I kind of had her name and just looking at her compared to other people on the list, I was just kind of, well, it doesn't it doesn't feel right to have that person above her just with her output. Um, I've seen her live a few times this year. Luckily, she's kind of comes out to uh, the, the West Coast a little bit more. Um, and she just never disappoints. Uh, always really great matches. Um, and, yeah, so it's just like she – every pretty much every match is always super solid, great worker, really crisp, has this kind of dominance. She's really a kind of a walking tall baby face. She's never really has to do a lot of underdog fighting, fighting up stuff. Um, never, you know, and that might be, you could say that's maybe a depth in her game. I think her selling is when it's in, like, when she uses it, it's done well. But, yeah, she doesn't really sell a lot. Um, she is more of a kind of, yeah, just unbeatable, keeps going through. Uh, great match this year with TK Cooper and Lucha Forever. When Dahlia was injured, he filled in for her and what was a fantastic match that really stands out from early in the year. Um, May Young Classic stuff, obviously. Uh, great match with Kerry Hojo. Uh, I thought the Piper-Niven match was fantastic, actually. They always have great matches together. I almost feel bad for not getting Piper on my list, but I just uh, I just felt that almost in the same way, she's a little, just a little bit, a little bit too limited, even comparatively. Like, Tony at least has some situations where she shows that she can sell. Piper really does very minimal selling, and, and it's just the beast, and I think while she is very good at that, she isn't quite the same level. But, um, but yeah, I just thought... Uh, Fantastic in all of those matches. Um, great match with Kaylee Ray in uh, in progress this year. That was really, like I said, really fucking good. Great matches, just phenomenal chemistry with Jenny. All almost every time they go at it. Uh, match with Dahlia Black right back after Dahlia's injury in progress. Really felt like um, she really helped Dahlia, who was never, I think, a top level female worker. Really made, helped to make that feel like a pretty solid main event, or not main event, but heavyweight title match. And then the uh, WXW Femme Fatale tournament. She was really the star of that thing the whole way through to me. Um, every one of her matches was phenomenal. Probably you know three and a half star minimum, all the way up to like four, four and a half stars. 
Um, great match with Charlie Evans in progress after the progress uh, women's tournament where Charlie Evans got the title shot. Going into that match, I really questioned Charlie Evans getting the shot, and, and Tony made sure to make that match feel like it made sense. So I think she did a great job there uh, bringing her up. And then following that, great match with Lana Austin and Lucha Forever. Lana Austin, someone who I, I, I you know, like, she really needs a good partner to have a good match. And so it was like comparatively to me, the best Lana Austin matches I've seen are against Shane and against Tony Storm. So, you know, I had, I had Shane on my list already because of how talented I think she is. Plus she works a style I really like. I couldn't shit on Tony because she was just as, just as able to carry her. Plus having so many other bigger matches with better women. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, like I said, she doesn't, not a huge seller, but then when she goes up against someone like an Alex Windsor, who's also kind of a uh, kick-ass character, she's able to just stand and bang, uh, throw for throw, she'll show some weakness, but she stands up and she's tough, and, and she really exudes a, a natural charisma that the crowd obviously gets super behind, um, she's insanely over, great look, um, just all around, I think, a star waiting to happen as soon as... Uh, WWE gets ready to use her properly because I mean, coming out of May Young Classic, she was the one everyone was talking about, and I guess you could argue that that has uh, some to do with her look, but I mean, it also has to do with her charisma and her wrestling as well. She definitely stood out because there was plenty of good-looking girls in that tournament, but I felt like she was the one that a lot of people came out talking a lot about. Um, I think the thing with Tony this year for me is that she's really talented. And she's very young and she has a very bright future ahead of her. Um, I just could not bring myself to care about Tony, Tony Storm this year. And I was very shocked by that because I was very into her in 2016. Um, the little bits of her I saw in 2015. So I've always, always was a fan of her, but I was expecting more growth from Tony this year. And she was always good in the ring. She's still having good, very good matches, but I just don't care about her. And. I think whenever I'm watching these progress women's title defenses or when I'm watching her whenever she shows up in stardom or watching her whenever she shows up in any other promotion um, um across Europe, uh, I didn't watch any of the May Young Classics, so I can't get, really give an opinion there. But I see her. She's having good, technically sound matches. Uh, she has a great entrance, a great look. But at the end of the day, I just don't care about Tony Storm. And maybe that's just not fair um to her output and how much she was actually doing this year. But when I was actually trying to plot on my list, Tony Storm actually did cross my mind, but I never put her name down because I'm like, I can't really make a case for somebody that I don't care about. Yeah, I can't blame you. And that was, again, that was kind of where I was at until I I stopped and really thought about it. And and I've liked so many of her matches so much that I couldn't, um, I wouldn't feel right just trying to at least give her fair shakes on it, you know? Hmm. So my number 28, a guy I'm assuming you have higher, uh, Keith Lee. Yeah, Keith Lee is higher for me. Um, yeah, we might still get to him tonight, though. All right, you're 28. So my 28 is, I think you had him lower, Kyle Fletcher. I had Kyle Fletcher at 39. 39, all right. So, I mean, tell me. Tell me why, Kyle, you had so low. <laughs> um... I think the reason why I kind of had Kyle and Mark Davis, for that matter, relatively low compared to how much I actually like these guys is because I was trying to maintain some kind of like semblance of fairness and not just put my favorite wrestlers like in the top 10, top 15, if they weren't really like 
on that level yet in terms of output because they really have only been here for like five, six months. And granted, that is a pretty good amount of time um, for people that have just showed up and uh, made an impact. But um, yeah, this is I mean, Mark Davis is my favorite wrestler to watch, but Kyle Fletcher is like just my favorite wrestler in general right now. He's kind of like hitting that Akira Tozawa sweet spot for me, where Akira Tozawa for a really long time was my favorite wrestler because I thought he was just um so genuinely likable and um, easy to root for. And uh, Kyle Fletcher just hits that for me. His uh, goofy-looking hair, he's a long, string-beans, skinny kid, 19 years old. Um, at first, when you kind of see him, he moves kind of awkward. He has a big, goofy face, but he's just the most endearing wrestler on the planet. Um, you can't help but root for the guy. You can't help but love him. And, but other than all that, the guy is fucking awesome in the ring. Um, we already mentioned all the Aussie open tag matches when we were talking about Mark Davis in the last episode, but Kyle Fletcher has a lot of very good singles matches. I'd say, um, one pop, one popping off the page right now to me is Kyle Fletcher versus Mark Haskins from, uh, by club pro that I think is probably the best singles match either Kyle Fletcher or Mark Davis has had to date so far in the UK. Um, you haven't gotten to this match yet, but Kyle Fletcher had a really interesting and good match with Dick Riley on a, a recent attack show that I was very impressed by. I'm really impressed by Kyle in. But yeah, I love Actually, I just watched that last night. Oh, you did? And yeah, I, I actually really liked that match a lot. That Dick Riley guy was kind of interesting, but Kyle really made that match actually a lot better than I would have expected it to be. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think he's a I think he has um I've compared him to El Generico a lot. And the only difference between him and Generico really, other than the mask and whatnot, is the fact that he is not as spectacular a spectacular flyer as Generico was. But Fletcher can still do some pretty damn looking um damn good looking uh flying spots when he gets when he wants to. Um his springboard crossbody to the floor always looks real good because the camera always catches it well. And just in particular, how long his body is, it looks great. Um, I feel like he always looks great flying through the air for the Aussie Open tag moves. But I can't get enough of Aussie Open. I can't get enough of Kyle Fletcher. Um, I really have no, I really can't like say any more good words about these guys. So, uh, you should, you should start talking now. So I stop rambling. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you right there. I think uh, on top of it, just like we we kind of both talked about this before, he had these uh, really, really good singles match with Mark Haskins this year that kind of helps him stand out big time. He's he's really a, a much better, I think, standalone wrestler than, unfortunately, than Mark Davis has been, has been this year um, mm-hmm. as a singles wrestler. Um, Mark Davis is starting, I think he's going to break out, especially... Honestly, we're, we were both just talking about this before we started recording, but Mark Davis versus Thatcher and WXW, I actually think um, if Mark Davis continues to work WXW at least somewhat regularly, I think that's a place where he could really shine because he wrestles a style that fits in with that crew a lot better. Um, just because WXW is a lot of... I mean, their minimum guys are all pretty beefy unless you're like a total high flyer like... A, like Demac or something, everyone else is like pretty solid, you know? Mm-hmm. So a big solid guy like him who can move and throw people around and all that, that's a place for him. But this is about Kyle Fletcher who, um, on the rest of the Indies, especially in, uh, in the UK, uh, Kyle Fletcher's size actually helps him. Um, he's able to kind of mix in with a lot of different guys because there's a lot of really smaller guys. And unfortunately, I think a Mark Davis just couldn't have that same match with, 
Uh, Mark Haskins, just based on size. I mean, Kyle, I can, you can get into Kyle Fletcher as an underdog against someone like Mark Haskins. He can bump and sell for him, and it's believable. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that's a lot of what helps him stand out is that uh, he's just had a better setting for his particular skills. Mm-hmm. Um, facial, like you said, facial selling, facial reactions. Amazing uh, facial really expressions, inf- yeah. Yeah. Over the top cartoony, but really works. And you know, we talked about, or I talked about the Bugs Bunny thing that gets on my nerves. I think Kyle Fletcher is actually a cartoon character in the most perfect way. Um, yeah. He's still believable as a big, goofy kind of animated, over the top character that's just completely infectious. The whole crowd buys into him. So, so yeah, he's uh, to me, he's been major standout. I was a lot less worried, I guess, than you about being impartial. Um, all the people ahead of him, obviously, I think had better years than him, but uh, but I don't think that anyone below him really deserves to be much higher than him, honestly. I mean, in ring, he's super fucking talented, and he has a lot of really great matches. Yeah, and like to just like um, get a final word in on Fletcher, I'm not sure there's a wrestler that left a bigger impression on me in 2017 than Kyle Fletcher. Um, for the amount of time he's been here, for what he offers to a UK scene where a lot of guys are into that hard-hitting, high-flying style. I think he brings a sympathetic underdog character that we haven't been able to, that we haven't had in quite a while, I think. Um, And I think if he gets the singles opportunities, that he could really catch fire um, and become like the next big breakout star in that scene. Yeah, that's uh, that is definitely the case. No, I'm like getting excited for my next guy. So you got to do your uh, twenty, your twenty-seven here. I got to hear what it is. All right, my number twenty-seven is someone that I think we've had a little bit of discussion about, but not sure if you have him higher than me. Twenty-seven is Hiromu Takahashi. Hiromu didn't make my list this year. Mm. Um, a lot of people suffered this year because of of best of the super juniors. We, yeah, we had this talk. Not though, delivering. Like, we we had this talk though about like Harumbu specifically. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I felt anyway. that he slowed down midway through the year, and a lot of the gimmickry stuff with Daryl and all that really started to uh, to affect my uh, enjoyment of him. And uh, you know that may be unfair, but to me, I feel like there was not a lot of output from him this year. But talk him up. Tell me why. Tell me why he's here for you. Um. Even though he fell off the radar, um, I would say after June, um, I can't really deny the fact that for the first half of the year, I thought Haramu Takahashi, total package-wise, was probably like a top three wrestler in the world. I'm not just accounting for the fact of great matches or just personality or just look or everything combined together. I didn't, I didn't think there were two or three better wrestlers in the world than Hiromu Takahashi. Um, from wrestling perfectly to his character, to translating everything he learned in Mexico perfectly to the Hiromu Takahashi we got in New Japan up until a certain point. Um, the mix, the mixed match uh, leather jacket with all the different punk bands, the flag he carries, the balloons that would come down from the rafters. Everything was just so perfect about it. The way he walked, the, his facial expressions, uh, everything about him was so well done as a, in, a, in a presentation way. When he goes out there and wrestles, he's having these fast-paced, frenetic matches that still make sense when you watch them. Against Kushida, against Ricochet, um, against Teton, against Dragon Lee, um, against Willow Spray. So 
I thought he was still delivering in the ring up until we get to June. And after that, this is when we start to see the problems because he suffered his first loss in the company in general. Um, well, as far as his, as far as the singles matches, I should say. Um, the first night of the Super Junior tournament against Dragon Lee. Now, at first I was like, okay, he lost to Dragon Lee. That's his biggest rival. We can chalk that up and he'll move on through the rest of the tournament. And then he loses a few more times after that. And now you start to see what the problem was, is that Harumu had this star aura throughout the first half of the year. And then once Best of the Super Juniors goes on, he starts to lose it. And that is one of the most disheartening things that's happened this year. Because I could not shut up about Harumu Takahashi first half of the year. I thought 2018, 2019, you might be seeing this guy headline Super Hall shows. How different his presentation was. How good he looked. How big of a star he looked. It didn't matter how big he was. It didn't matter his size. He came across like the biggest star on every single show. And then by June, that all changes. And then by the time the G1 Climax starts, this is when the Daryl thing kicks in. And I had no problem with Daryl the first few times it happened. Um, In theory, it made sense. People kind of came up with headcanons for it that Daryl was his coping mechanism for... uh, Losing the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. That was all fine. I got it and I was cool with it. Daryl then took a life of its own. And the company took notice of it. Hiromu took notice of it. Other wrestlers took notice of it. And Daryl became the attraction. And then Hiromu became the side piece. And that is something that really, really has damaged him um, as 2017 has went on. And it's probably going to damage him even going, in, going into 2018. That's not to say that he, like, what I think he's going to win the junior title back at Wrestle Kingdom 12, but I think everything they had going for them in the first half of the year with Hiromu is now really severely damaged because of the Daryl stuff taking on such a big life. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you're right, but I also, like, I question just, like, what, how much does he really have when kind of he did start to lose a lot of his. Muster just because of losing matches. And we talked, I talked about it earlier about Yuren Simmons, how he could drop the title, he can drop losses, but he still feels like a big star and how that's an important thing. I feel like Hiromu showed that he couldn't do that. And I, I the Daryl gimmick. Okay, I will say, I don't, I don't think it was the title necessarily. I think it was Hiromu stopped being cool. Hiromu was cool to me. It wasn't about him coming across like a big star because he had the belt to me. I thought Hiromu just seemed like a cool motherfucker. He just seemed like every time he came out um, throughout the, through the curtain, even standing, even standing next to Tetsuya Naito, who's one of the coolest wrestlers on the planet, who almost seemed like just as cool as him, if not cooler. So it wasn't just like a star thing with me when it came to like having a belt and being able to be a star without a belt and elevate the belt. It's just that once the Daryl thing kicks into me, everything that made Hiromu cool kind of goes out the window. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and and I agree with you that the, the Daryl thing became the focus, and he did become, like, the side attraction. He did have a decent match in, in What Culture Pro Wrestling against uh, Lucky Kid, and a uh, and he was okay in the RPW uh, Junior kind of league that they did. Yeah, him versus um, Speedball was good. Yeah, but... Realistically, him uh, outside of New Japan was not great either. So it was just kind of he didn't. 
some of these guys you see and then they they kind of fall off in New Japan, especially juniors, and you think like, oh, it's because the booking kind of sucks. Like Kushida is one last year who actually Kushida didn't. I don't even think made my list this year mm-hmm. um, because of so many of the juniors in New Japan just not being very good this year. Um, and just really, like I said, best of the super juniors was a big was a big ticket like feather in the cap for a lot of guys last year to help their their. Uh, their cases, and then this year, I mean, there was very few good matches in Best of the Super Juniors, honestly. Um, and Kushida, though, last year, uh, what helped him a lot, too, was that his excursion stuff was always really good. So you could kind of see that while New Japan doesn't take juniors seriously, he's still a goddamn great worker and actually deserves a bigger push than he gets. But... Uh, to me, Hiromu never showed that. Even outside of New Japan, he didn't take advantage of of the opportunities that he had. And it could also be that, you know, what hurt him, too, is the LIJ gimmick, is he's meant to kind of come across like he doesn't care. So he wasn't putting in a lot of effort. That's another thing Kushida, when he was in other places, he always kind of acted like he was really happy to be there and all that, and it helped, I think, to put him over a lot. So, so that was kind of my hurt for him, too, is that, like, I could totally see what you say. I think that actually a big problem, too, is that he came out and he openly talked about wanting to move out of the juniors and not just be a junior. And then it felt like, oh, he got pigeonholed and now he's just a junior who's – he doesn't even have the title. He's not a big deal. And it really felt like he probably should have held the junior title until they were ready to push him up into heavyweight, which That's what the I'm truth thinking. is they're probably never going to do that. That's what everybody was, like, thinking at the time is that you have this big – star on your hands. Everyone thought Hiromu just had like star written all over him. When you have someone go over in less than two minutes in what was a, what was essentially the semi-main event of the show um, at Sakura Genesis when he beats Kushida, you're thinking, oh, he's not just a junior anymore if he's steamrolling Kushida like this. And then it just so happens that he's just another junior now. And that's really yeah. disheartening. Like, to, that you waste something that fucking cool, and then you look at this guy now, and you're like, well, what? Like, where are we going to go with this now? Because he's definitely not on the same path he was back in April. No, and that, and that definitely hurts. Um, all right, my 27 is Chris Brooks, right. who I know you don't have on your list. All right, so uh, something about uh, Mr. Smith. So part of it was he had to, I thought he had to be above Kyle Fletcher, honestly. Um just because Kyle had a really big year for him, like kind of breaking onto the scene, but Chris Brooks, like similarly working in the same company as being kind of around and all that. Um, Chris Brooks had like a breakout star year for him. Yeah. Um, he starts out the year delivering um, really, you know, in the same vein that he has been for years, really good tag intergender kind of stuff. Um, stuff with Nixon on her way out of, of the Indies um, you know, different like different tag team matches with uh with Lycos, all that. And uh you know, he looks good. And last year I really think he kind of suffered in a lot of ways because he focused he seemed to be and we talked about this I think last year with the uh with the rankings on like Pete Dunn where where Pete Dunn had felt like the year before he had kind of spent a year learning how to be a star and then last year he really executed. Um, it felt like the same thing with Chris. I feel like last year Chris was focusing on how to really learn how to be a star, work a match that's not necessarily as intricate. Um, I think people forget just how good of a technical wrestler he is because I have people, I hear people talk about him being shitty in ring. Um, and it's like, well, he's yeah, not yeah, shitty in yeah, that's ring. Not, that's not true at all. That's not true. Yeah, he's just working a totally different style now that's a lot more, I think, broad to fan bases to get into. He's trying to really work 
essentially more like a WWF Attitude Era brawling style that gets over because he is a fucking phenomenal grappling wrestler, which he does get a chance to show this year. But I feel like last year he put that together. He was putting together this really awesome feud with Clint Margera. He was kind of putting together working this brawling style that more of the fan base can get into. He's putting together this swag, this character. And then somewhere in the middle of the year, it just clicks. Um, it feels like it starts out with uh, they kind of show up in, in RPW, and you're thinking, okay. I mean, this is after he's already had months and a few months of just having really good matches that feel on the level of what he's been doing for a few years. You know, nothing crazy. So they show up in RPW. Um, they start wrestling. They're having good matches. They feel like there's a groundswell of support, and they probably got to get the titles on them. But, uh, but they don't. So instead, they... Um, you know, or I guess they don't get the titles on them super quickly. And then out of nowhere, they show up in WXW, and you're like, what the fuck? Or he shows up in WXW without Kid Lycos. Um, it's it's him and uh, Travis Banks. And uh, from there, you know, they get the titles in... They got the WXW titles for like a, a minute, right? Like, no, they never fuck. won the WXW titles. They came in for a one-shot against A4 and had a really damn good match, though. Yeah, they have that fantastic match. And then, they, and then eventually they do win the RPW tag titles... Um, Rev Pro, I guess. And from there, they become, like, I talked about Eddie Dennis being kind of the workhorse, mid-card star of cockpit shows. Um, CCK become the top-level draw kind of stars of the cockpit shows. Yeah, but it was uh, very crowds- weird to watch happen that CCK kind of became, like, the actual top stars on the show. When you watch when you but when you watch the York Hall shows, obviously the RF pros going all out and bringing in Skrulls and Rey Mysterios and whatnot. But CCK and specifically Chris Brooks were really carrying those cockpit shows throughout the throughout the whole year. Yeah, they were they were the shit. They were the stars. The crowds fucking loved them. Um, obviously, the Dream Tag Team Invitational that's been brought up a couple times. They have phenomenal matches in that. Um, they're doing stuff in Lucha Forever. Doing stuff, I say. They win the CZW Tag Team Titles in Lucha Forever in a great match against uh, Scarlet and Graves, which is a, a team that I just absolutely adore. And uh, yeah, so then from there, I mean, you know, they win, they win and lose the attack tag titles. All they in this setting in the, like I said, in the cockpit where he's becoming a big time star for Rev Pro, he ends up getting himself booked in a way where he's becoming like a, a championship level contender and he has a one-off title shot against Zack Sabre Jr. And that's where he gets to show his grappling skills and how he's just as good at, at grappling as Zack. And they have a really good match that I've heard a lot of people shit on that I actually enjoyed. I uh, probably I wouldn't have it in my, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably have it in my top 20 matches of the year, but it was really good. And it was one of the better Zack Sabre Jr. defenses of the year comparatively, um, because I thought that Zack's title run has been, not great in Rev Pro, or his tag team title, or his title run in Rev Pro was not great, and before it ended, um, so yeah, I'm just they go through, drop the titles to um, Ozzy Open. He drops the titles to Ozzy Open uh, and wins the world title over in Fight Club Pro, and it's like it's great because it's the first defense for Travis Banks, and it's a match that gets switched into a um, into a, a like a six way instead of like it was like a, it was like a quasi six man tag. And then towards yeah. the end, Chris Brooks was like, yeah, I want this title. And then him and Lycos turned on Travis Banks. Yeah, so it was like, I think it was supposed to be a six-man tag. Then it got turned into a six-way. 
but they were still acting like it was a six man tag until the end when he's like, fuck it, I'm going to win the belt. And then he wins the belt, turning on, on Chris Brooke or Travis Banks, who's been like his buddy all year. Um, he wins the belt there. And of course, it's perfect because Travis Banks, zero defenses. As we talked about, uh, progress not understanding how it works. Like, mm-hmm. that's how it works. The ultimate underdog, he wins the belt and then he gets no defenses and he gets just, fucked he over gets by shit his on best immediately. <laughs> yes, by his best friend. You know what I mean? Like, it's just perfect. Uh, Trio's tournament, I haven't watched all of it, but I've seen a little bit. He carries himself like a star there. Um, I guess, for me, the reason why he makes the list and Lycos doesn't is because he had the tag stuff with Banks as well. Right. Um, he had some good singles work that I really enjoyed. And, I hate to say it, but, you know, we talked about Lycos is underrated. That's because Chris Brooks stands out like a, like a star. Yeah. Chris Brooks upped his, his game to feeling like a top level act in the UK and one of the hottest scenes in the world right now and kind of is the UK scene in general. And, I mean, he feels like he can be on par with anyone, um, in all of the country as a, as a top level guy that can main event any show. He can kind of win any big-time title. He's helping to run the FCW shows now, and he's the champion. Uh, like I said, they help make the Aussie Open feel like a big fucking deal when they get the win over them on their first tag team title match. Like It's just all around, I just think he's shown that he's still got it when it comes to grappling. He's still got it in the ring. He's got this great charisma, this great character, and he also has become like a, a legit like high-level star. And so that's just like, this is his breakout year, and I think he really deserves recognition for just how he kind of made himself into bigger than what he was before, just really by, like, sheer willpower. He just, like, kind of force of will made himself into a big fucking deal, and the crowd got into it, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, honestly. He deserves every bit of it, and at the same time, he also comes across like the biggest fucking asshole on the planet, because he's such a goddamn great heel, so... Um, I just kind of fell in love with him over the year, really impressed by what he was able to pull off, and uh, I just think that he just continues running forward and becoming uh, even bigger for the years to come. Um, I think Chris Brooks really is evidence that studying the game really does pay off, just like I thought it was with Pete Dunne last year, where Chris Brooks, he was kind of like in the middle of the pack when it came to the UK scene as it was starting to bubble up, and... He got some really cool gear. He became like the ultimate dickhead heel, spitting water and flipping off fans and doing all types of stuff and having a great Twitter game and just being an overall nice dude, having great looking merch. And it just turned into this overall package of CCK that took off like um, wildfire. Um, I do think that he gets um, less credit than he deserves in the ring, even though I didn't have him, but he does, he has a lot of very good, um, Matches that border on great, especially that Zack Sabre Jr. match. Um, I like the Ada match from Project Mayhem a lot. So it's not like he doesn't have the singles matches of Bose, and he also does have the matches with two tag team partners um, to make his case too. Not dissimilar to the case someone like Walter would have, um, having matches with Axel Dieter Jr. Um, as his partner and also Timothy Thatcher. So I can definitely see um, why you have Chris Brooks on your list and also so high for such a banner year for the guy. All right, to go into my 26, you watch NXT, so there's a chance you have this person, but my number 26 is Asuka. Uh, she almost made my list. Uh, she ended up at 58. 
Um, just below Yearn Simmons, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, so, thought she was good, but I think that she got a little stale and derivative towards the end. Um, but that said, she was always over. The crowd mm-hmm. was always into her. It just, I felt like, I honestly felt like there was a mixture of she was only giving so much and she was also not being used to the full of her potential, but let me hear about why you got her at 26 here. Um... It's something that I've been hammering home this year when it came to Oscar, and even last year in 2016, when people were kind of, um, I think, undervaluing the story being told in the women's division in NXT, is that Oscar came in in 2015 as this big, dominant force that nobody could touch, that people were afraid of. Early 2016, she destroys Bailey. August, August 2016, Bailey stands up to her, but she still gets put down. Um, now we get into 2017, and people aren't afraid of Asuka anymore. Now Asuka has to look over her shoulder because there are people that are gunning for her now and not just cowering in the corner whenever she walks by. You have Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. You have Nikki Cross. You have Ember Moon. You have Ruby Riot, all gunning for title shots. And I think that's when we saw a different Asuka because now it wasn't just this valiant, hard-fighting, baby-faced champ who goes, who leans sometimes in the tweener or heel, um, depending on who she's facing. Now you have this person that is backed into a corner and has to just fight and scratch and claw and will do anything it takes to win. She isn't just going to win with a submission or a knockout now. She wants to win through any means necessary. Um, she wants to keep her belt. And I thought that was most evident in the Orlando, in the Orlando title match against Ember Moon that I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, Second best match on that show, um, really like the maybe fourth or fifth, um, fourth or fifth best match of that whole weekend. Honestly, um, the triple threat match against Ruby Riot and Nikki Cross was really well booked. And another case of Oscar pulling a win out of thin air to hold on to her title. Um, the four way title defense was really good. The last ma- the last woman standing match against Nikki Cross showed a different side of Oscar. Um, show she could thrive in WWE um, gimmick match style. Uh, the rematch of Ember Moon in Brooklyn, I thought was even better than the first one. And I thought Asuka really was a big part in getting Ember Moon over as to where they're the first almost year of having Ember Moon at NXT. There was nothing to attach to with her. There was no great match. There was no personality. There was nothing to really care about with Ember Moon. And then working with Asuka really took Ember to that next level. Um, I really wish that they didn't kind of botch Asuka going up to the main roster by having her go 50-50 with Emma. Um, it seems that they're getting back in the right path since um, Emma's been released, oddly enough, um, and having her go through with squash matches and look like the most dominant person on the roster. But I don't know. That's just the main roster, and they always seem to um, fumble things when it's right in their hands, and they have a blueprint of how it will work. But yeah, I think for the story arc that was told throughout the last two years, I thought it wrapped up pretty well, um, even if even if she never wound up um, officially dropping the title to somebody. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see the case for her, and I get where you're coming from. I just... I thought that there was a few times there where definitely like her matches were the best matches on the NXT shows, but it was still it was like it was a down period for NXT overall. Um, I felt that she definitely had some really great feuds. 
Um, and in fact, there's actually someone who makes it on my list kind of based on working with Asuka in some ways. Um, but yeah, I just think that, uh, I think her promos game lacked. I think they did a good job with the vignettes and stuff to kind of cover for that. But realistically, she, uh, she just wasn't there for me. She also does disappear um, going up to the main roster for me. Unfortunately, I don't continue watching that. Um, but from what I heard, she botches. she's kind of botched on her way up and is barely now kind of coming back from that. Um, and I do think that they should have done something else with her for the title. I mean, they really shouldn't have just dropped the title that way or had her not drop the title that way because it kind of, I think it hurt, especially with the new champion being Emma Moon. I think it really did hurt the women's title that was in a good place. But, uh, when you brought her up, you mentioned that I watch NXT, so maybe she'll end up on my list. You watch NXT, too. I doubt this person's on your list, but we'll see. It's possible. Uh, my number 25, right? Is that what it should be doing? No, no, no. My 26. number 26 is not from NXT. He is Joey Janela. Do you have Joey Janela on your list? I have Joey Janela at 38. At 38. Okay, so, Joey. Um, just a fucking wild man. Um... I believe every single thing that he does, um, he's simultaneously a complete fucking loose cannon and someone who you totally like can respect on social media, which is really fucking cool. It's like, he'll just says whatever the fuck he wants, but you also don't see him doing anything super like rapey or shitty, which is just great because the character plays into the real guy and it just makes you believe in the real guy even more. Uh, you know, the first, his first match of the year was a match I was at live. It was a really, really fucking good three-way match with him, Leo Rush, and Douglas James at PCW. Um, he fucking was amazing in that match as the glue holding the whole thing together. Uh, people would probably think that Leo Rush stands out for all these flips and all that, but, but Joey Janela to me really showed his ring generalship in that match. Um, being able to control and keep the match in line. Um, making stuff make sense, just like phenomenal worker. Um, from there, he uh, had a match in C4 that I actually did watch. It was his next match with the the Marthu St. Jacobs. Who's a, I think he's a member of the Tabernacle team, guys. Um, that I, I enjoyed, but obviously was not super, super great. But from there, beyond matches, I mean, the stuff with David Starr in the death match, uh, showing up unannounced, uh, continuing, if you talk about his Beyond work, when he shows up straight from the hospital, tag matches, teaming with his girlfriend, I think maybe still girlfriend, uh, Penelope Ford, the Janelope team becomes like a like the kind of Sid and Nancy version of the world's cutest tag team with this fucking just almost seemingly drug-addled renegade and this like ex-high uh, school gymnast who he's just completely corrupted and it's fucking amazing. Um... Yeah, the guy is just insane. CCW kills it every time because he just bleeds black and yellow through and through. Uh, always gives 110% and wild ass fucking crazy matches. Um, stuff in, yeah, all over the place realistically. The guy is just always Joey Janela having these fucking just nutty matches. I mean, mixture of high spots and gimmicks and blood and innovative insane chair bumps and Huge ladder bumps off the ceiling, and He'll and then like a it's swanton a swanton bomb, literally to the apron, like uh, <laughs> swanton bomb into the backs of chairs, all lined up together, and like yeah, the guy is just—he's a fucking nutbag. He kills himself for for all of uh, our enjoyment, and he, but then he can like turn around and FIP World Title Match against uh, Fred Yehi. That's like 
you know, not completely insane, but, like, really good match. And, yeah, the guy is just kind of the – he was kind of the king of the tournaments this year. He showed up in almost every big, important tournament. I guess even Bola uh, shows up in SCI. I was going to mention, um, like, his PWG stuff is that when they first announced him as the replacement for TK Cooper, who dislocated his um, ankle, I wasn't sure how Joy, how Joy Janela would take. And then, lo and behold, I watched Bola. And I thought Joey Janela was probably the breakout star of the tournament. Yep. And not only the that, frog- when, and not only that, when you look at the All Star Weekend previews, um, I'm not sure if you were at either of those shows, but I watched him versus um, Marty Skrull in the previews, and whoever else, and whoever else he faced that weekend, and I'm like, holy shit, Joey Janela might really catch on a PWG. No, he already has. Uh, people were talking about him as the the breakout star of the weekend for Bola, like the entire. The entire time after his first match with Sammy, uh, people just will not shut up about how much they love him. He's a guy who I think the crowd there was really wanting. They were, like, mm-hmm. dying to have him in PWG for a long time already. So when he finally showed up, it was a big fucking deal. Um, he just – he carries an aura. He's bigger – he's really bigger than any company that he's in. Um, he's instantly, like, the biggest star in most companies when he shows up. Uh, just because his name precedes himself, and and it kind of it's weirdly all off of the back of letting Zandig almost kill him off of the roof of a building, which is like super impressive. But uh, a lot of guys, plenty of fucking guys, have gone to CZW or have gone to Game Changer or have gone to all these other places and let some fucking asshole take liberties or do some crazy spot with them, and then their names have become nothing. But Joey Janela actually was able to leverage that and make it into a big-time character that got over huge, and he's become one of the top stars in the indies. I mean, fuck, he just had articles written about him in, like, Rolling Stone website and stuff. People are taking notice of this guy being just, like, a big fucking star. Um, So, yeah, going going forward, I mean, he... Essentially, indie wrestling is his oyster at this point, um, as right now it seems like wherever he wants to go... Um, he can kind of write his ticket. I mean, he throws his spring break show and it becomes the talk of WrestleMania weekend. Uh, any match that he has really just ends up being instant kind of gif fodder and talked about and just speculated on what's he going to do next. And it's, it's super impressive how this guy has really kind of, uh, He's used the multimedia of pro wrestling in 2017 to to leverage a, probably the biggest, buzziest career that's going on right now. You know, like, Joey and PWG kind of reminded me of, like, when Drake and Cal first came in. But he's also he also just has a way bigger personality than either of those guys. So even if he's not bringing the same kind of nuttiness that those guys were doing, I think Joey brings a much bigger personality combined with the insane bumps um, that just makes him stand out in an environment like that. And he's already been killing it everywhere else. He's up on CZW, GCW, showing up in SCI, um, Beyond. Uh, he's about to have an, um, fans bring the weapons match against David Starr, um, literally the literally like the first hour into 2018. So, uh We'll see how that goes, but everywhere this guy goes, he just winds up becoming one of the most talked about names in the promotion. And I think if he can um, turn that into being one of the absolute top guys in the PWG in 2018, um, while still being um, one of the top flight names um, in every other indie that he works, we'll be talking about having Joey Janela higher this higher next year. Yeah, for sure. Um. 
And that was your 26, right? Yeah, that was my number 26. All right. My number 25 is Masaki Mochizuki. Uh, no Dragon Gate on my list this year, so that's all you. Um, second half of the year, um, after the uh, unit survival thing wrapped up, um, Masaki Mochizuki just kind of took Dragon Gate by the horns and had awesome fucking singles matches. Um, I thought he was good in um, every single multi-man match he was in, whether it was tag matches, trios matches, uh, eight-man tags, whatever. Mochizuki is always really good in them and always one of the best parts. But Mochizuki, when he has something to sink his teeth into, is a, diff- a completely different animal. Um, awesome match with Shingo Takaki on the opening on the opening night of King of Gate. Uh, awesome singles match against Big R Shimizu. That is probably a lot of people's Dragon Gate match of the year. A uh, great, great, great title win against Yamato. That was long overdue. In the fact that Yamato's reign should have ended a while ago, in that Mochi wasn't exactly my first pick to be the one to beat him, but I'm not complaining about it since it's led to some really awesome matches. And just recently, he had a great match against a Destiny against Jimmy Susumu that um, kind of felt like the old ROH um, style title defense with uh, some limb, with some counter strike limb targeting from both guys, hard hitting, great counters, all that stuff. Uh, Mochizuki at almost 50 years old, still one of the absolute best wrestlers on the planet when it comes to, when it comes to being in a high spot. I'm not sure there's been that many title match workers in the world better than Masaki Mochizuki this year. And if they have been, and if there have been better, better title match workers, they're higher on my list. So that's the case of Masaki Mochizuki, 47 years old and still one of the absolute best on the planet. Yeah, I mean, that's a solid kind of argument, and uh, as he continues on with his uh, with his age and level of talent, he does start to get into that conversation, wrestler, greatest wrestler ever, greatest kind of senior wrestler ever. Um, he's probably one of the top dads. Uh, the only reason why he gets overlooked as being such a top dad is that you can almost not tell that he's a like older dude. He wrestles just about as young as everyone around him, honestly. You can't even tell how old he is. Um, yeah. So yeah, my uh, my twenty five is who I was kind of leading into when I talked about NXT. Um, there's a chance you have him longer or higher. Uh, my number twenty five is Oni Lorkin, the former Biff Busick. Uh yeah, Oni did not make my list this year, and I've, if I have to be honest, I wasn't really in love with his TV stuff as much as everyone was this year. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean that's what makes his case, obviously. Um, he is just, I think, hands down, probably the best worker in all of NXT and probably all of WWE based solely on what I've seen from him working in, uh, NXT. Every time he gets the chance, he knocks it out of the fucking park. Um, he is the star of sub five minute matches, basically. Um, just the guy is just a fucking murderer. Uh, facials are always on point. Um, just insane high-speed action. Uh, you buy into everything he does. I've talked about him endlessly on NXT, uh, or when I review NXT, how he's like one of the few guys I've ever seen who 
he gets guys over not by just selling for them, but also by his own offense looks so good that it makes other guys look better if they're able to withstand it, which is fucking impressive. Um, like he just, he gets other guys over by them being able to just take his amazing looking offense, um, which is so fucking cool. Um, the guy is just something special and they just need to focus on him a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, he essentially has had like less than 15 televised matches in 2017 and every single one of them was pretty much flawless. Um, just fucking amazing stuff. Um, so yeah, the guy is just, I can totally see not having him. Uh, it's almost kind of indulgent, I guess, to have him because he has done very little in in the year, but he is just too goddamn good to be denied. Um, and yeah, so I just couldn't overlook him. I think he's definitely the best case of someone not getting too many chances, but maximizing every single second they got of screen time. Um, against Adeo Otami, against Lars Sullivan, uh, against Drew McIntyre, didn't matter. Which some people have as like their match of the year, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, um, teaming with uh, Martin Stone. You know, whatever bit of screen time he's given, he always makes the most of it, and I'm never going to knock the guy for that. Um, but for me, I'm just not a big fan of TV wrestling right now. And because of that, um, I guess sort of a block with that style of wrestling in my mind right now. That even if I really enjoy what Oni's doing, I really love the Hideo stuff, by the way. Like, people went crazy over the Drew McIntyre match, and that match is awesome, but I love that whole Hideo stuff. But because I'm just not super into TV style wrestling right now, and Oni's sort of the king of that, that he's just not going to be represented well on my list. Yeah, and that's completely fair. All right, so my number 24... Someone you just mentioned that you don't have on your list, but it's Kushida. Yeah, no uh, no Kushida for me. And, uh, I mean, that's probably unfair, honestly. He probably deserves to be on the list. But, uh, again, there was just so much garbage in the Best of the Super Juniors that I essentially, as I was going through my list, I just waved my hands at putting any New Japan Junior on the list at all. Um, other than the Hiromu stuff... I do think he's probably the I do think he was probably the best guy in the best of the super juniors. Um I thought his match with um Despy on the opening night was really damn good. I thought Well, his- I actually think Desperado was the best guy in the best of the super juniors honestly. But, <laughs> but so I would give that credit to Desperado instead of Kushida. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know is insane. Um I really loved his um where he's getting um Taguchi match. Um but those two always have great matches together. I think what really puts it together for me is that I really, really love that Best of Super Juniors final against Osprey. That felt like a really um, good follow-up to everything else they've done in New Japan. And um, even if I thought there was a better performance by Osprey, Kushida is still right there with them, busting out new spots, new counters, um, being the vicious um, little um, technical guy that he is. I really love the title switch against Osprey uh, at King of Pro Wrestling. But yeah, I just love everything Kushida has done when he gets the chance to. Um, the New Japan Juniors always suffer um, as the year goes on because either they'll be stuck in title defenses that I really, I'm really not too sure of or multi-man tag matches or whatever. Um, it happened to Kushida last year because he was top five for me at one point. 
before dropping the title. Um, and maybe if he held the title throughout the year, um, this year he might be higher. But the whole thing with Hiromu and Kushida and going back and forth and now with the junior title where it is now, um, just in general, all those guys have to fall down a little bit for me other than people who were actually going out and like working at other places. And it's not to say Kushida didn't, didn't work at other places, obviously working in um what culture, doing shots in ROH, um, appearing a couple times to see him allow, but wasn't enough for me to justify um putting him higher. Great. Great Rev Pro match with Zack Sabre Jr. Yes, yeah, I forgot to mention that. That was really good. That was that was a great match. So, I mean, he had his stuff. He's a guy that I think if New Japan was just... I guess, I mean, he's completely signed with New Japan, but if he had a little bit more laxed uh, contract or new, with New Japan or appearances and all that, he could he could be a guy who would show up in a lot of super injuries, including PWG and stuff, and really, I think, be able to be a big-time indie breakout star because I think part of the problem he has is that New Japan just doesn't give him a chance. But his ROH... Uh, television title run was actually pretty good. Uh, it was, I'll say this: it was definitely better than Ishii's ROH title TV title run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just uh, just didn't do it for me. Um, so my twenty four is a guy who I think there's probably no chance that you have. It's uh, Kane Justice. Oh, actually, no, you did have him. You just had him lower. Yeah, I had Kane Justice at my fifty. Okay, Kane Justice at fifty. So he's twenty four from our. Is he twenty four? Yeah, he's twenty four for me. I felt like he really was just like in that top 25 range, like just barely inching his way into the top 25 range this year. Um, the guy, I mean, his work speaks for itself. He is kind of a virtuoso in the ring, honestly. Um, every little heel mannerism and detail that he adds in, um, he's only just now starting to slightly kind of get the fans behind him as a babyface, especially in the Rumble, in the CWF Rumble when he uh, was in the final stretch with Trevor. The fans were definitely getting behind him. And uh, it almost felt like it was meant to be that way. So it's really impressive because he's been he's done a great job of keeping the crowd 100% heel against him. Um, I don't – he hasn't had a single match that I didn't think was fantastic right. this year. And I've watched all of them, essentially. Um he needs to get out of CWF and have more matches in other places. But realistically, he every single match in ring is great. But what gets him this high on the list is his his promo work, his character work, his his just his look, his commentary work, his everything about this guy just oozes this fucking shit shitty character that you just fucking hate. Um, and he's just, he's a rookie. He's under three years experience. That's how he's RGL champion. And he's having heavyweight title matches against aid. He's going toe to toe with Trevor Lee to finish out the rumble. He's in the six pack challenge for the title. I mean, he just feels like he should be at that top level already. And he's brand fucking new. He has the poise of a you know, 10, 15 year vet. He carries himself like a star. He is, uh, like, amazingly great at showing ass, uh, fighting off the back foot, coming across like a fucking chicken shit heel while also being, like, really, really amazingly talented as a pro wrestler. Uh, just the guy has everything you could ever want in, in a wrestler. Um, and at his age, it's super impressive the way he shows that off. Um, his feud with Dirty Daddy really took Dirty Daddy from being 
what felt like a comedy character uh, to being Dirty Daddy being just on his level as a guy who you can start seeing in the mix in the mid-card title range. Um, his feud with retired wrestler Cecil Scott obviously shows just how good he is that he he got Cecil Scott ex- so in- ex- impressed that he wanted to come out of retirement to wrestle against him. Uh, and the feud was a lot of really great mic work, ending up with just like one match um, against a reti- like I said against a retired guy that uh, the super delivers. Uh, goes from there into a big-time feud with Mitch Connor, who's another veteran, and he holds his own every step of the way with this vet that doesn't outshine him in any way. I mean, it's it's impossible to me. I think that the only reason why Kane Justice isn't on everybody's list is because they're just not watching CWF. They're not keeping up on CWF as much. Because, uh, I mean, realistically, the guy is easily one of the top 100 wrestlers, top 50 wrestlers. He's one of the best wrestlers going right now. And, there's, I mean, I don't think that there's any argument against him, honestly, for just how good he really is. I think you hit the nail on the head is that him being so young into his career and that he feels, like, so natural filling in in a CWF title match is kind of insane. But think about the fact that he's going back and forth between like working RGL shows and working RGL matches and wrestling Dirty Daddy and guys who are in similar who um, have similar experience levels to him. Guys like Dominic Garini, who haven't been, who I'm pretty sure Kane Justice has been wrestling longer than him. Um, and he can wrestle those guys and have great matches with them, and then look like he's Trevor Lee's equal. Like that is kind of insane for a guy that's 20 years old. Um, but yeah, if I watch more CWF TV, then Kane would be higher. But I've loved every single thing I've seen from him this year. I wish he would pop up in places like uh, maybe a Nova Pro, uh, a Sup Graps, a Black Label. Um, places where guys like that will get a chance. Um, but he's still young. He still has a lot of time to grow and figure things out. But yeah, I think the sky's the limit for Kane Justice. All right. And that was 24, right? 24, yeah. All right. So my number 23, I know you don't have since you have no, since you have no Dragon Gate, Dragon Gate guys, but nine, my number 23 is Takahiro Yamamura. Yeah, not on my list. Um, this is really going to come from the standpoint of what it means as a Dragon Gate fan for a guy to have a year like this. In a year in Dragon Gate where there was so much uncertainty, um, Yoshino getting hurt early in the year and people not knowing how severe it was, Katoka getting hurt, um, Kaito Ishida getting hurt, his tag team partner, and everything in general just being in a real state of flux. Takahiro Yamamura stepped up to the plate and became probably the best guy in the company in 2017. Um, whether it was these big, crazy eight-man tag, eight-man tag main events at Kurokin Hall, um, facing Big R Shimizu, um, a great King of Gate run facing a Shima, Doi, and Kankator as far as the stuff that, that made it online, a Brave Gate title, a Brave Gate title challenge against Kankatora. Just everywhere the guy showed up, I felt like he, um, was the shining light of what was a very down half to Dragon Gate 2017. Um, as Dragon Gate as a whole started to get better later in the year, Takahiro Yamamura's, um, I guess, importance kind of dwindled down. But that doesn't change the fact that in my favorite promotion, in what was re- really a time where no one knew what to expect or what to believe in, that Takahiro Yamamura gave Dragon Gate fans something to latch on to. 
And it wasn't just an emotion. It wasn't just in story and wanting to see this young guy succeed who had never really been put, been put in positions like this before. He was going out there and delivering in great matches night in and night out against T-Hawk and against all these other guys. So, um, for that, Takahiro Yamamura has to make my list and, um, was initially started higher. But when I looked at my list, I had to move him down a few slots because certain guys, um, I think had a more widespread impact. And Yamamura's only felt for about five or six months of the year. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, pro wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly here. I want to make sure you are all subscribed to all the great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. It's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, which, of course, includes the full archives of the Kevin Kelly Show, the Place to Be Nation pod feed, and the pro wrestling only feed. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And be sure to give Justin your true thoughts. I mean, don't hold back. After all, he is kind of a jerk. Just listen to Scott. Place Simulations, JT Rosero and Chad Campbell here. We want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaySimulation.com. And we offer those to you on three great feeds. On the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, we bring you the Mothership, the original Place to Be podcast, as well as main event to Lucha Afterground and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, as well as the Our Vantage Point podcast and Jeff Learns Wrestling. In addition to these full-length shows, we also deliver quick-hit pod blasts on topics old and new. Over on the Pro Wrestling Only feed, we dive deep inside the wrestling business with a stacked army of experts leading the way. The feed features potpourri shows such as This Week in Wrestling, Greetings from Allentown, Psychology is Dead, Puro Puri, Stacy and Elliot's Bogus Journey, and the Military Industrial Suplex. We also have shows that focus intently on certain topics like Letters from Center Stage, Space City, and NWA Classics on Demand Adventure, Through the Years, Strong Style History, Strong Style Story, and Mount Olympus. Plus, the feed has the full archives of legendary shows like Titans of Wrestling, Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, and much more. And on our popular Place to Be Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, PTBN Dadcast, Go Home in a Box, NBA Team, and Lucha Undead, as well as a vertible podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, Geek and Sassy, and Imaginary Stories Podcasts. You can find all of these current shows plus archives of our past podcasts, including The Kevin Kelly Show, as well by subscribing to all of our feeds on iTunes. And while there, be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. 
all of these shows, plus others available on PlacementNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus in-depth stretch projects and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlacementNation.com backslash Amazon when shopping online, and download our free PTB Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on our site. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, TheHistoryWrestling.com, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlacementNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Um, yeah, and I think that once I, if I, if I ever go back and revisit uh, 2017 Dragon Gate, he'll probably end up somewhere in my list as well. But unfortunately, I completely gave up on Dragon Gate. I think in like May or April. Um, so yeah, I just uh, I am mm. like dangerously behind on it to to really put anybody from Dragon Gate on my list would have been unfair I think um, even though there was some stuff that I really liked so my number 23 I think you might have on your list I don't know actually um, because I don't know how much you've been into DDT but Kenosuke Takashita is my number 23 I have Takashita higher okay alright so my number 22 someone I'm not sure about um, where you stand on them next year but my number 22 is Shuji Ishikawa. Shuji is... Uh, what the fuck? Okay, yeah, he is. Um, he's higher for me. All right, so you're 22. My 22, see, I don't... If you had Kanosuke higher, you have to have Daisuke Sasaki higher. I don't, I don't have Sasaki. What the fuck? I haven't been watching that much of DBZ. <laughs> okay, I've well, actually, actually been meaning to do a catch-up. Sasaki, to me was that's why I have him just above. I think he was he was really better than Takashita this year. Uh it feels weird for me to not get to talk about them back to back like I had planned to, honestly. But I mean you turn around and like I think that his match with Hiroshima was better. Um I think that his extreme title run was better in a lot of ways than Kenos than Takashita's open weight title was was. Um, I felt like he had a lot more charisma. He kind of elevated the title. He took the title and made it into a big deal. Um, I felt like the the Iron Man match with Dick Togo was like fucking amazing and realistically better than anything that Takashita did all year. Um, loved the king. Loved him in the King of DDT tournament um, against the Kyo. I thought that that match was fantastic. I think that he really he showed a depth of of skill that a lot of other people don't have. Uh, being able to be this really fantastic comedy worker, uh, plays up this kind of weird crush on Candice LeRae, but then can also be super serious and a fantastic mat worker with matches that make super great psychology sense, uh, oozes charisma, um, big, like, even when they want Endo, who's got the look, he's got everything, uh, the flashy high flying to be the kind of the star of Damnation. I think, uh, Sasaki really easily comes, comes out as being the bigger star. Um, just naturally the crowd loves him. Uh, fantastic kind of shitty look. Uh, he's a guy that I think before Damnation formed, I always thought that he had kind of this weird look that would leave him at like indie scum level for his entire life. But somehow mixing that up with Damnation, it makes it make sense in a way that he, he actually comes across like a star level performer. Um, great tag team matches with Damnation. Uh, with Mad Polly primarily actually having some great matches there. Mad Polly, another guy who I got an appreciation of this year that I didn't have, but uh, did not end up making my list, unfortunately. Um, loved the uh, the three-way title match 
with uh, him and Takashita and Kanoka. Um, thought that, you know, he, again, he's able to play off the serious and the comedy. He bridges that gap, I think, better than anybody since, uh, since Ibushi and Kenny Omega stopped being realistically the top, top guys of the company. I think realistically you need a guy who's able to work kind of comedy and serious in DDT. It's a really important part of the company. And I think actually he's turning the extreme title with himself as being that guy and more of the ace of the company than Takashita was, even if he's not being pushed properly. Um, obviously, like I said, Damnation becomes the most popular group. I think that's built on the back of him being one of the most popular wrestlers in the whole company. Um, so yeah, it's like, that's kind of my, my breakdown of Sasaki. I just think, uh, a big part of it is he's got that Daniel Bryan thing. He's going, he's over way higher than his push level would like kind of tell you that he should be. And it just comes down to that. He's fucking amazing. Um, great match with Diego just a little bit ago last month that, um, was really impressive because Diego's a guy who I, I liked in, in DNA, but never saw much of him, but he was able to have a match where Diego came across pretty serious and, uh, it was a really, really good match. So, uh, yeah, I just think he shows that he can go from working with a vet, working with a rookie, working comedy, working with a woman, working with you know, with whatever it is, he can make it work. And, uh, you know, above him, you're supposed to have Takashita, who's supposed to be in that ace role. And I feel like Takashita is losing overness and does not have that same level of connection with the crowd of being able to work any part of the card, which is really important in DDT overall. Oh yeah, there's no re- there's no case against Sasaki other than the fact I just haven't seen much of his stuff other than the Togo match, which I which is excellent. Um, so when I get around to doing a big catch up on DDT like I plan to, then Sasaki will probably show up a few times on my uh, top 100 matches of 2017 list. Um, All right. All right. Now onto another guy that I know you have higher than me at 21. I have Jeff Cobb. Oh yeah, you know I have Jeff Cobb higher. Right. Uh, so my my twenty one is the ace Eric Royal. I wasn't able to squeeze Eric Royal on this year. Was not okay. I can't I can't blame you. Um, great stuff in Nova Pro, obviously. Um, he's kind of the star of Nova Pro for the upper mid card, uh, undefeated kind of thing, but never doesn't really. He main events sometimes, but uh, he's not always like the preeminent main eventer. Um, but really good match with Fred Yehi to start out the year. Uh, <laughs> Good stuff in the Commonwealth Cup, finally dropping his first loss to uh, Logan Easton LaRue, helping make Logan feel like a big star. Um, great match with Sugar Dunkerton. Uh, really loved the four-way with uh, Chip Cassidy and Alexander James. Um, yeah, just uh, the guy is, you know, gets the rematch with Logan, beats him there in uh, Pro- Nova Project 3 in a big-time main event with wild, crazy crowd brawling as this lovable babyface that everyone gets into big time. Um, the crowd loves him, and then they're, like, so into him, and they're going crazy and all this stuff. And uh, and it's, like, really impressive because he could turn around and have a match that's, like, a very, very similar match um, in a very similar kind of area. You know, you go from Virginia to North Carolina, but he's in Chapel Hill uh, with a match against Snooty Fox and CWF, and it's, like, the complete opposite crowd reaction. They're, like, ready to riot 
when he fucks over Snooty Fox to get the win. Um, and then that's where his real case is made is 100%, not 100%, but very largely in CWF. His, his Nova Pro stuff is really good. I really re- recommend it, but I mean, the, the lion's share of his work is in CWF where he is just like hands down the best fucking heel. Uh, he might actually be the best heel in wrestling. Just pure straight up fucking heel shit. Uh, fucks with everybody in the crowd. No matter what, he like, I think he gets great pleasure out of making sure that he legitimately fucks with every single person in the crowd, like specifically individually. He goes out of his way to make sure that he pisses off every person before he leaves. Um, it's just phenomenal how good he is at that. Um, and you just buy into him. Some of his little snide comments when he's not even supposed to be the focus, which you could almost, I could see other people digging into it as a negative thing because he draws attention away, but I fucking love it. Someone else will be cutting a promo and he'll just be in the background spouting off saying some stupid shit and just kind of wiling out like a fucking asshole. And it's just like stealing all of your attention just to pay attention to this guy. In ring, he works like the, just the big time monster, uh, carries himself like he's undefeatable, but always is able to essentially show ass and lose when necessary. Um, really underrated, I think, is his stooging, which is always like comedy and stooging and stuff like that is something I bring up that I think a lot of purists who I kind of interact with, uh, you can read that as Pete Schumacher from This Week in Wrestling, uh, don't necessarily appreciate as much as I do. But I think that it's it's actually a big part of wrestling as well to be able to show that you can you can do that, that you can bump, feed, stooge, do some comedy work, do some serious work, and he really can. Um, it's really impressive that you can kind of get into his comedy stuff, really buy into it, but when it's time to turn it on and be serious, he fucking kills it. Uh, his tag team with um, with Roy Wilkins this year and the All-Stars has been really, really great. Uh, they were in the Canoodle Cup, and they had a lot of fantastic matches. Every time they team up, you get really into it. Phenom- phenomenal psychology with him being the wrecking ball monster, and Wilkins being the uh, the kind of the, the finesse and the technical work guy. Um, turns around, shows up in Scenic City Invitational. Great match against Dominic Garini to open up, a guy who ended up on my list as well. Um, just really, really love that match. It's the mix of the big monster power guy against the grappler. Um, and you just get, again, to show off Eric Royal's kind of his ability to really mix everything into in like in different settings. He can work different people, different styles. Um, after that match, he goes on to take on Kurt Stallion, uh, does a phenomenal job of helping put over Kurt Stallion, make him look like a million bucks going forward into the tournament. Um, but yeah, the guy just so good. CWF Mid-Atlantic title match against Trevor Lee. Uh, I mean, flips the switch and, like I said, goes from comedy joking around to the Stone Cold Killer Sirius uh, wants to get his title back from this young punk. Um, just uh, truthfully, probably the most criminally underappreciated wrestler on the planet Earth right now. Um, a guy who deserves to be booked in every, every fucking company in the country, in the world, um, and just doesn't get that appreciation that he deserves because, unfortunately, he doesn't get out of uh, his region very much. But... Uh, Clearly just, I mean, he's one of the greatest wrestlers, I think, of modern era, of modern time, um, in pretty much every way. He, like I said, bumping, selling, uh, seriousness, heel, uh, comedy, everything you can imagine. The guy is just like all that and more. Um, I had Eric Royal on my list last year. I consumed much more Nova Pro and, uh, CWF last year than I have this year. So that's just what it comes down to there, but, Everything you said there sounds um, up to par with what Eric Royal has been in my time watching him. Um, 
always liked him as a baby face, but this new heel work and everything he's been doing for the last year is just like perfect for him. Um, coming out and being the most obnoxious, arrogant, in your face motherfucker there is on the wrestling scene is uh, great, especially for a very intimate um, setting like CWF. So I would have Eric Royal if I had just seen more of CWF and Nova Pro. But because I just haven't seen much of that stuff, that Eric Royal Sally makes um misses my list. All right, and time to get to my number twenty. And my number twenty is uh, probably going to surprise some people for how high I have her. Um, probably wouldn't make a lot of people's lists, honestly. But my number twenty is Kaylee Ray. I wanted to have Kaylee Ray on my list so badly, but I just couldn't get her. So please talk about her for as much as she deserves because I, uh, I just couldn't get her on here this year, unfortunately. Um, everything you said about Pete Dunn last year is like everything you could possibly say about Kaylee Ray. Um, and she also has the fact that she can work babyface too. Um, from being a really great, menacing, controlling heel, um, her great high-flying offense, she can be a great valiant babyface, great comedy wrestling, great tag team wrestling, great singles wrestling, um, any promotion she's in, whether it be Progress or ICW or Stardom or Southside or OTT, um, even in the little bit of May Young Classic stuff that I've seen, she always goes out there, and I always think that she just delivers. She is versatile as hell. She can be your, um, she can be your top, um, female. She can be your champion. Um, she can be your mid card champion. She can be opening a show. She can be in a six man tag. She can do anything you want her to because Kaylee Ray is that damn versatile. Um, truthfully, maybe the most versatile wrestler on the planet. Um, I get it that maybe Kaylee Ray isn't having these outwardly spectacular matches on every show. But to me, there is something to be said about the person that whenever I see them and they're doing a different thing and that I can get into it regardless of what it is, whether it be having some kind of a British rounds match revolving around drinking beer, whether it be wrestling a 17 year old Millie McKenzie and really establishing the fact that Millie McKenzie is very good. Um, wrestling. Nixon Newell on her on her way out. Uh wrestling Candice Ray. I feel like just Kaylee Ray can do anything. She's a great promo. She has a great look. She just exudes a star presence, even when she's not in the main event. That I just absolutely adore. I really have no I really don't have enough wor- good words to say about Kaylee Ray other than the fact that if you're missing the fact that she's one of the best wrestlers in the world just because she's not exactly a main event player, then you're um, sorely missing out because everything Kaylee, Kaylee Ray does to me is must watch. Yeah. I mean, she had fantastic matches with, uh, Abby Lath. Uh, what was her name? What did her name used to be? Kimberly. I think, yeah. um, the stuff with Martina wrestling, Martina and tagging with Martina. Um, yeah, the stuff in stardom, the very little that I saw was very good. Uh, probably Tony Storm's best opponent, on, if we're being perfectly honest. Honestly, probably Alex Winter's best opponent. Um, probably... 
Other than other, than, would, Chris, other I, than Chris Brooks, probably Nixon, Nixon Newell's best opponent. Yeah, it's it's like I'm trying to think like Piper Niven, like almost a uh, great match with Chris Wolf, who doesn't really I'm you know, I'll just say it doesn't really have great matches. I know she's really popular. Um, I like her stuff, but I don't think that she's a great worker. But she, you know, Kaylee Ray has a great match with her. Um, yeah, I mean, you hit you really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, she can work anyone. She can have great matches with anyone. Oh, this is even like um, counting like the like her wrestling men too. In which she's right. one of the people like that it never feels out of place. She feels just as badass as the guys. Where a lot of intergender can feel creepy and forced, and Kaylee Ray, it never feels that way. And that's a skill that not everybody has when when working those kind of matches. Yeah, that's for sure too. I mean, she uh, she definitely is able to kind of bridge that gap really easily. Uh, you talk about comedy, shenanigans, serious wrestling, uh, believable, uh, just everything. Essentially, she could do it all. Um, I think you're right to have her this high. I think I'm actually wrong to not have her this, uh, higher and not have her on my list at all. Unfortunately, she's not on my top 50. She'll definitely be making my top 100. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I am right there with you on all of this pretty much, and I think that I just uh, kind of oversighted it and didn't uh, – didn't give her the respect that she deserves, um, unfortunately. Um, one more thing before we move off of Kaylee Ray is that I'm saying all of this about her, and she's only 24 years old. Like, right. She has, hopefully, like another 10 years ahead of her of just being like this high level and this kind of versatile and having this kind of variety. And even if she does wind up going to WWE at some point, um, which I think it would be insane if she is never signed. Um Yeah. I think she has like the potential to be a breakout star if they ever go with a flat out all woman show or have her on Raw or SmackDown. She just has that kind of quality to it where um she just can't be denied, I think. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um okay, so my number twenty, and this is one that I really wonder because even though you uh, hosted a Lucha podcast, I guess uh, even I my podcast has Lucha in it and I don't pay attention, right? Um my number 20 is Ray Phoenix. I had Phoenix at 44. Okay. Um, a lot of what makes Phoenix for me is that I seeing him live enough uh, really helped me to appreciate just how fucking amazing he is as a seller. As a seller um, underdog babyface work is phenomenal. His crispness with his flying is amazing. Um, his technical game shown off in his match with Zack Saber Jr. was super impressive. Um, he is a guy who is super versatile. Um, his worst match of the year was against Will Ospreay. That match was garbage. Don't watch it. Uh, but he can go from wrestling essentially the kind of top flight super indie darlings. He can wrestle uh, all the crazy luchadors. He can wrestle uh, kind of... Uh, extremo, I don't even know what they call it, like wrestling, like hardcore wrestling in Mexico. He can be the number one best guy on a PWG show. He can wrestle in Europe and have amazing, crazy spot fest tag team matches. He could be the champion in AAW, have really good match with Josh Alexander just recently. Um, who's another guy who I really wish could have be on my list somewhere, but unfortunately, uh, he got the travel ban and hasn't been going to Japan, so uh, he's not getting the respect that I think he deserves. Uh, great match against his brothers. 
Um, great match tagging with his brother. Um, phenomenal match against Ray or Rocky Romero and Bar Wrestling just recently. Um, or I guess not recently, but just a little while ago that I really, really enjoyed um, the live experience on that one. Like, the guy is just really fucking good. Uh, matches with Travis Banks. Um, yeah, like I said, I just think he shows that he can work everything. His stuff in the crash, um, stuff against the match in APW just recently against, uh, Hulitude and Rey Mysterio, um, like kind of working dream match settings. He can do it all. He can work like kind of the dirtiest, grimiest fucking indie in Mexico. He can work the biggest, most polished show, um, any, you know, in the cow palace. The guy can versatilely work anywhere and stands out as like the, the most talented worker in on the card in the, sh- on the match, in the show. Um, every time I think he, I think he gets overlooked. His brother is a lot more charismatic, but I think in ring wise, he's just a, a much better worker uh, all in all. Um, in 2014, 2015, when Lucha Underground was first on the up the ground, Phoenix was definitely one of those guys that caught everybody by surprise. Um, not just for his sensational high flying and which he does some athletic stuff that really nobody else can do. Um, the first time I saw him do that kip up on the ropes, I absolutely lost my mind and had to immediately think, have I ever seen anybody do that? And I'm still not sure I have, but you, you hit the nail on the head is that he's a great seller and he's always been a great seller. The problem is, is that he just doesn't do that very often, honestly. And while I love that aspect of his game, and I think he's one of the absolute best at it when he gets the chance to. I'm not sure if you ever saw it, but um, from Ultima Lucha Trace, he had an awesome hair versus mask match against Marty DeMoth, where that was sort of a throwback to the Phoenix we got used to in Ultima Lucha, I mean, in um, Lucha Underground Season 1, facing Mil Muertes, just bleeding and selling and getting in hope spots. And that was a real throwback performance to the Phoenix that I love. And granted, I still love him when he does um his tag matches um with Pentagon. I think that Lucha Brothers tag team has given both of them more life than they would have otherwise, honestly. Um, I'm not sure how his AEW title run is going to go, but I did lo- really like his um, match in AEW with Trevor Lee. I thought his match with Trent and PWG was really good. Um, obviously, the DTTI stuff was really fun. Uh... But yeah, I really enjoy Phoenix. If he had did more of this babyface selling and uh, more promotions and it wasn't just as a uh, go, 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 as a lot of his stuff usually is, then I might have him higher since that's the kind of Phoenix stuff I typically enjoy more. But we just didn't get more of that, so that's where he landed. Sorry about that. Um yeah, I uh, I just I think like I said, a lot of it too is that for me seeing him live really made me appreciate stuff more that I then watch on tape and uh, and have a, a bigger appreciation for watching back, just knowing how good it, everything looks in person. Mm. Um, all right, so I guess that's your number nineteen. All right, now my number nineteen is AJ Styles. Okay, now this was a tough one. I had AJ everywhere from number three to, like, number, I think, 20. And I just couldn't do it because it felt dishonest. Um, Even though what I've seen of him I really liked, and I know that he's phenomenal, uh, pun, I guess, intended there, Um, 
I just couldn't do it knowing that, like, I didn't really watch all of his matches. And even though I know that it would, no one would bat an eye if they heard that I had, you know, AJ Styles in my top 20, they would just assume that that makes sense. But I would know that it would be kind of dishonest for myself because I just didn't, I just didn't actually watch the matches. And so I just couldn't have them on my list, you know. And I, that's going to seem crazy to some people, but I just couldn't do it because I just don't watch enough WWE. No, I, to- I totally get it. There, that's definitely a reason why someone like Eric Royal didn't make my list. Even though I think the world of the guy, if I haven't seen the stuff, even if I know it's probably good, I'm just not going to go in blind and just say, oh, he should be on my list anyway because he's Eric Royal. So um, AJ Styles, I think he has the two best matches that have happened on the main roster this year easily. Um with the Royal Rumble match with Cena and the Survivor Series match against Brock Lesnar. Um, the big knock on him is that the Kevin Owens program that went on for a very long time just didn't produce great matches, um, surprisingly, because I think the world of both guys, they just don't they just don't click very well for whatever reason. Um, but even just on regular TV, I thought AJ Styles was very good, usually. Um, I thought he has... I thought he had the best matches Baron Corbin is probably ever going to have um, on those matches, on those ma- on, on those TV matches they had with each other. Um, his performance in that Elimination Chamber where Bray Wyatt won the title was really damn good. Uh, just every time I think AJ Styles actually gets something to sink his teeth into, he's always going to give you his best effort and never let you down. So I think having the best Brock Lesnar match since like 2013 is definitely a big feather in its cap here. Uh, having the two best matches that happened on a WWE main roster year while I wasn't really in love with a lot of what they did definitely speaks to the fact that even on what could be called an off year for AJ Styles, he's still producing the best stuff to happen um, out of everybody on the main roster. Yeah, and I mean, that's completely fair. And I think that the Brock Lesnar match, while I don't think I liked it as much as a lot of other people, I definitely see where people are coming from, especially when you put it into perspective. But I kind of turn around and I say, like, well, where is everybody else? Because I used to always kind of, like, say that the Punk-Undertaker match deserved a lot more credit than it got because of what we learned later that Undertaker was not no was nowhere near that good. And it was a lot of hard work from Punk to get that out of him. But people kind of decided to take the match on face value. And I kind of feel the same way about the Brock match, if I'm perfectly honest. I'm like, on face value, there was a lot of sloppiness. There was some shitty botches. And there was some stuff that looked majorly dangerous. And, like, even though AJ was able to make, like, Brock look better than he has looked, that doesn't make that stuff good. You know what I mean? So, unfortunately, that was kind of uh, where I came down on that. And then, meanwhile, like, I thought that the Shane match was, while good, was, like, fucking tiresomely disgusting overly pushed McMahon bullshit um and like realistically from there I, I watched very little else I thought that he had good matches with Reigns um I thought I actually I think I liked some of the Kevin Owens work better than other people but that's also because I'm like unapologetically I think a lifetime Kevin Steen uh Stan I'm never gonna not be a big time fanboy for him I think so uh that's probably part of why I like those matches more than other people um, but yeah, so that said, my number 19, kind of going back to back, it's it's kind of funny, uh, looking over the list and everything, I think he might actually be the person who 
um, had the most matches in 2017 that's on my list in general. The most matches that you can watch, I think, even for sure. Maybe even the most matches that I've seen. Uh, my number 19, and I would be... I think you said him earlier, I hope, is Juice Robinson. Yeah, I had Juice Robinson at 34. Okay, so earlier I think you said Kyle Fletcher argument for best babyface in pro wrestling. I forgot and didn't really think about it, but Juice Robinson I think was the best babyface in 2017. Um, and it's funny because in 2016 I really questioned a lot of his mannerisms, his loud cursing, his kind of shitty attitude and stuff like that as being like stuff that affected his babyface dumb for me. But I think in 2017 he uh, really kind of shored some of that stuff up, continued to do some of that stuff, but really delivered some amazing babyface performances. Um, I thought the match at, at Wrestle Kingdom with Cody Rhodes was really fucking good. Um, I think a lot of people weren't as high on it just because of, of it being Cody Rhodes, but I actually actually thought that it was a great match. Um, I thought that most of his work in ROH this year was fucking phenomenal. Um, I thought he had good matches with pretty much everyone. Uh, Hiroki Goto, uh, he'd have great... He was always really good in the tag matches, always super over as one of the undercard guys in the tag matches. Um, New Japan Cup, I thought he was had a decent match with Yujiro, a fantastic match with Shibata. Um, again, like I said, you know, just really always stood out. Lots of personality. Crowd got behind him big time. Um, inter- intercontinental title match with Naito, I think, was when you started to see maybe they're going to take him seriously. Um, big time match against a big time star. Looked really good, believable, could win the match at some point, uh, but never doesn't come out with the belt. Um, and then from there, yeah, he's like, he gets kind of token title matches here and there. Um, Gets the, the, the United States heavyweight tournament in Long Beach, um, has a really, really great match with, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. that kind of, you know, at the time Zack was on fire, but you're like, oh, this juice guy, I think this is it. And then you start the G1, and I think he was oh, probably the star of the G1, night in and night out. Um, I think other guys may have had higher highs, but I think nobody else delivered as consistently as him. Uh, he told a story throughout the entire tournament. Um, continued to sell throughout the entire tournament, this big, big time story, really up to stock, becomes a, a fucking, a, almost a name out of, coming out of it, a guy that you have to argue is just phenomenal, uh, goes into CMLL for a little bit after G, after the G1's over. Um, I saw very little of that, but what I did see obviously looked like he was doing pretty good, uh, match with Shocker that I thought was, like shockingly good for a shocker match, if we're being perfectly honest. Um, and so, yeah, I like uh, kind of got into that United States heavyweight title match with Kenny Omega. I think uh, probably a lot of people's could be people's match of the year. Uh, I thought really, really great work from both guys uh, really cemented him as a uh, kind of a name for going on forward. Uh, tag league stuff from what I've heard is very, is very good. Unfortunately, I have not gone out of my way to watch any of his tag league matches because I don't like his partner even slightly. Um, I don't care to see Kenny, uh, Sammy Callahan at all. But, uh, yeah, that said, uh, the guy is probably one of the best baby faces, uh, best underdog sellers, best long term, uh, psychology sellers in the game. Um, and really just completely makes his name based off of that. Uh, I loved him this year. And I think uh, if New Japan gets serious about him, the crowd loves him enough that he could be a big star for the company moving forward. I think with Juice that this was just a year where he just kept topping himself. 
Um, he got the Intercontinental title match with Goto, and you're like, oh, man, there's the biggest match of Juice's career. He gets the Intercontinental title match against Naito. It's like, oh, man, there's the big, biggest match of Juice's career. He gets the um, match against Kazuchika Okada in the G1, and you're like, oh, man, biggest match of Juice's career. And you get the United States title, United States title shot, you're like, oh, man, biggest match of Juice's career, where we always just kind of seem to think that Juice isn't going to get much bigger than this, but he just keeps going and going and going, and it just feels genuine in how he keeps expanding and growing as a wrestler. And it's just through being a genuinely likable, endearing, funny, um, easy to root for white meat babyface through selling a great, through selling, having a great punch, having great finishing stretches. You know, there's nothing to dislike about the guy. And I really enjoyed seeing how everybody, um, in this Twitter bubble that we're in is all in on Juice Robinson. There's not that many people in the re- in the wrestling Twitter bubble that Pete does like so you like unanimously liked. And Juice Robinson is probably the guy that everybody can get, everybody can get behind, and nobody has a bad word to say about them. And that speaks volumes of his work. So to move on, uh, my number eighteen here is uh, someone you might have hired since you haven't said his name yet. But I have speedball Mike Bailey. Yeah, I've got him a little bit higher. Right. So my number eighteen, if I recall, I think you probably already said. And if you haven't already said, then I can't imagine you don't have higher. Is uh, Tyler Bate? Of Tyler Bate, actually, my next guy. Oh, perfect. So I guess we'll talk about. I'll talk about Tyler Bate. Um. The, I don't know, best young guy in wrestling, I think, conversation we've had before that's really kind of weird to parse out, but is, like, in some ways just the case. Um, Well-rounded, super talented, coming into his own charisma character-wise. I think there's no doubt he's got the best mom on Twitter. Um, (laughs) Just A-plus, Jill Bate, number one, everyone. Um, United States... Title tournament going in, or United Kingdom title tournament going in. Uh, thought, oh, Bate will do okay, but clearly they care about Pete Dunne. Uh, clearly Trent Seven is going to be a big deal. But I think, you know, just based on how he's been, had been treated in, in actually in the UK Indies up until that point, I didn't think much of it. And oh, then, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like, let's be clear here that going into the UK tournament, Tyler Bate was very clearly the number three of British Strong Style. Right, and I mean, um, an upper mid card, lower mid card guy in the UK in general. Yeah, I mean, they uh, Mustache Mountain was and British Strong Style was all formed about fucking him over, you know, and and getting the big stars together and all this. Like, so he was not to me. He was not seen as a win. He was not even to me seen as a dark horse winner. I was like, there's no. He's not going to do much. He's going to be in here. I thought he was going to be kind of fodder for other guys. Um, then the brackets start to come out and, you know, he goes against Tucker in a phenomenally great match. And you're like, well, he's going to get that win. And he does. Uh, then from there, Wolfgang, and you think, well, I think they're pretty serious about pushing Wolfgang. He faces, he faces Devlin after that. He faces Devlin. Oh, Devlin. Okay. Devlin match was another he, one where it could have been. And he always has great matches with Devlin. So you knew they were going to deliver there, but you didn't know who was going to win. Yeah. And I think I, I probably would have given the nod to Devlin just because of the connection to, um, mm-hmm. to Balor. I thought that, oh, they're going to, you know, get serious about this guy because he's, he's their boy's boy or whatever. 
But, uh, you know, he takes him out. Then, yeah, then the Wolfgang match feels like, okay, well, Wolfgang's got to go into the main event, you know, because they're going to take him seriously as the big deal ICW guy. And he can lose to Bate or to Dunn in the finals over some shenanigans or whatever, and it'll make sense. But, no, he gets the win on Wolfgang, and you're like, huh. Well, then going into the finals, you're still like, well, Bate or Dunn has to win it. But, no, Bate gets the win. The crowd goes nuts. They love it. It's a, a long story arc told out throughout the entire tournament with his arm uh, and the arm selling in the match and then powering up to be able to hit that big kind of rampage bomb. And then finally, after it's, you know, to finish it off with the Tyler driver, gets the win. Uh, feels like a big fucking deal. Um, and then from there, continues on uh, working all over the place. Great matches against, like, so many different opponents. Uh, like you mentioned, Devlin tagging with uh, with Dunn, tagging with Seven. Um, a big, yeah, I'd say big-time issues with the uh, the British Strong Cell tag team matches, especially in progress, start to get bloated and boring. Uh, Fight Club has some issues with that as well. But every time you get just Mustache Mountain or just Tyler Bate in the singles, you get big-time deliveries. Fucking awesome matches every time. The guy just keeps getting slicker, better, faster, more talented. This guy just seems the sky's the limit. Like- yeah, new spots you've never seen before. Really cool stuff. Then he turns around and has what's like another like very top match of the year match in against Pete Dunne at Takeover Chicago, which I think a lot of people are going to have that as their match of the year. A lot of people have that as the standout match. I'm like, yeah, that match was really good, but like it wasn't. I wouldn't even say it was their best match of the year. Then they turn around and like a week later they have a. Uh, they do the, the match, but they switch gimmicks, and you have Pete Dunn dressed up like Tyler Bate, and Tyler Bate dressed up like Pete Dunn, and they and do Tyler a very Bate similar... Looking, and Tyler Bate looking more like Pete Dunn than Pete Dunn does. <laughs> yeah, and it's just... It's amazing that they, like, switch the match around and have, like, the same match, but in reverse, and you're just like, what the fuck? Um, after the uh, fantastic showing in the Super Strong style, but I think we both expected him to end up winning. It was, it was kind of funny after having the opposite feeling in the, um, in the British... or the UK title tournament... Of like, what the fuck? Why is he making it to the finals? This match, it felt like, oh, he's going to probably win this, even though Banks seemed like the clear winner. And you're like, I think that they might go with him. Uh, he loses and really puts over Banks strong in the end. Um, really, I couldn't think of another person other than Travis and, and Bate to be the finals to deliver that many great matches throughout the tournament because uh, they both just had knockout matches every time. In their, um, in their history together, it just was like the natural last obstacle for Travis Banks to overcome. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, I think the uh, Lucha Forever title match um, against Mark Haskins is like a low-level, under-the-radar match of the year candidate that a lot of people haven't uh, taken the time, I think, to see. Um, the match with Kyle Fletcher in attack was another one where Kyle Fletcher looked amazing, and obviously a lot of that has to do with bait. Um, tag team match, British Strong Style against War Machine. Uh, another really good match, in, even though it's in progress. It really was the only time that they were bad was the, the trios matches in progress and Fight Club, and everything else was good. Um, singles match against Jeff Cobb and Fight Club Pro that just was knockout fucking amazing. A uh, kid like us. Yeah. Yeah. A fucking phenomenal. Uh, the guy is just, I mean, through and through, I mean, oh, we didn't even great mention, match. We didn't even mention his stuff with Mark Andrews. Like, he had two awesome matches with Mark Andrews. Um, yes. One at the UK special and one at Progress or um, Progress Orlando over WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, the the Andrews matches always good. Actually, he's had I think he had more than just those against Andrews this year, but those ones particularly stand out as fantastic. But um, yeah, because he also well, no, I guess that was it. But he had the title match and the the Progress match 
both fantastic. Great matches with Mark Haskins. Um, yeah, the guy is just, uh, what, 20? 19? 20. Just 20 at this point. Just turned 20 right now. I've been wrestling for five years already. Uh, Another one, I've said this a lot, I think, at this point, but sky's the limit. Probably going to end up being one of the best ever. I mean, realistically, with, with the trajectory that he's on, um, it's hard, it's hard to argue that he's not going to just continue to impress and become one of the best. So, I mean, now that I'm, I've kind of taken up all the gushing, <laughs> Quentin, what do you have to say about how phenomenal this kid is? What's funny is that, like, even with how much he accomplished, accomplished and how much he's done, can't you still think of so many fresh Tyler Bate matches? For even how, yeah. like, like, how much he's been able to do this year, you can still possibly get, like, a Tyler Bate versus Keith Lee, or a Tyler Bate versus Walter, or something like Tyler Bate versus Zack Sabre Jr. hasn't been done that much at all. Um, a Tyler Bate versus Speedball. Like, even with how much we've said about the variety he has in opponents and, um, facing all these guys and having great matches with, great matches with almost everyone he's been put out there against, there's still so much more you can do. And, like, that's just the beauty of this guy is that, like, because he has such a well-rounded game with the technical wrestling, with the high flying, with the power stuff, is that you can realistically want to see him against anybody and it wouldn't feel like a mismatch. Like, Tyler Bate versus Omari. Who's a bigger freak athlete? That would be such fun to watch. Tyler Bate versus Mark Davis in a singles match would be great stuff to watch. Um, but yeah, like the only thing that can hold this guy back is the fact that I thought in those British strong style six man tags, in the bulk of them, they just weren't very good. Um, there's a few that I thought were very good. Um, the Ring Conf one specifically. I thought the Dragon Gate one over Project Mayhem was good. I thought the CCK one was good up until the finish, and they went into the um, Triple H bag. But even then, I don't even think I hated the British Strong Style Trio stuff as much as other people did. And I think just having a little bit more of a limited schedule with the WWE contract kind of uh, changed his output a little bit because he was going to be in 16 Carat and then got pulled from that. So you can only imagine what he could have been doing with a 16 carat um, boost on his resume. But yeah, I love the guy. 20 years old, the whole world ahead of him. And you said it. There's absolutely no reason why this guy doesn't wind up as one of the best wrestlers of all time. Um, maybe the best of his generation. And we'll see how it goes. Um, fingers crossed that nothing terrible happens or that... WWE doesn't sign him up and then like he becomes a non-entity or something, but I just can't imagine a world where this guy isn't one of the best wrestlers to ever live. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just continuing to grow. So that was your 17, my 18. Mm-hmm. So then my 17, um, I doubt you'll have her hire is Nikki Cross. I don't have Nikki Cross, and this is just kind of surprising how high you have her, so let me hear it. Okay, well, uh, she's the star of NXT um, for 2017. Um, she came out like a fucking fireball. She essentially was saddled with a gimmick that I think no one really was into, and she's the standout, clearly, in the Sanity group. Um Killer matches with Oscar from the second that they start going at it. Uh, starts a feud with Ruby Riot that, that like stands out as just fucking amazing uh, with her mic work and her like 
just psychology game. Um, get stuck into so many multi-woman matches, tag matches, all this stuff. And every time she brings the, she just fucking brings it with the psychology and holding the matches together and carrying everyone on top of her character work, her charisma, and her promo ability to just stand out as the biggest fucking star in the world. Um, takeover matches, she continuously uh, is just like the big big time breakout star. The four-way with Asuka, Billy Kay, and Peyton Royce. Um, she's just like clearly the star of the match. Big, big fucking spots everywhere. Stands out. Uh, six-man tag, or I think it was a four-man tag, whatever it is, eight-man. Uh, she comes in and joins up with Sanity against the thrown-together team, Cassius Ono, Roderick Strong, Ty Dillinger, and Ruby Riot. Uh, she's just a ball of energy all over the place in this fucking wild spot fest. Um, triple threat with her, Ruby Riot, and Asuka, the one with the double pin finish that, uh, that was just like going so smoothly and doing so well. I thought the finish was a little weird, but whatever. And then like, yeah, spinning out from there, uh, just recently the fatal four way for the, uh, vacant title. Again, I think that she holds the match together. Uh, she comes in for the big kind of hot tag sequence, fires everything up. Um, yeah, I mean, a big part of it is just she became a huge star. She leaps off the page. Um, she's the the most important. She feels like the most important part of every episode of NXT that she's on. Uh, she stands out within her group that really seems like they they're just kind of just almost dead. They're actually starting to come back now, but there was times where she was the only thing worthwhile in the group, and uh, sometimes she's the only thing worthwhile on the entire show. Um, she's just yeah, amazing in ring, out ring. Um, everything she does is like she just knocks it out of the park. So uh, yeah, I just uh, I really really thought that she was great this entire year, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my take on Nikki Cross here. Um, the main thing I've always taken away from Nikki Cross in the time that she's been an Austrian character on NXT is that if you remember Nikki Cross from her um, indie days. The big, her biggest calling card was her promos. She was a fantastic promo, fantastic character, great at exuding this, um, arrogance, this high and mightiness, um, that was kind of unmatched. And now, in this sanity role, she obviously is not doing too much talking. And if she is doing talking, it's, it's, a, it's in a completely different manner than what she was talking before. And I think this sanity run has kind of proved that she's like sort of a method actor is that you can put her in any character, any situation, and I feel like Nikki Cross is just too talented to let it not work. I feel like you can make her do anything or give her any role, give her any position on the card, whether it be um, just on the outside um, to make faces and pace around outside the ring, whether it be actually being um, Asuka's biggest threat as a challenger, whether it be in these mixed tag matches or just making her presence felt in the ring. Um, Nikki Cross is just always going to stand out. And I was really worried when Sanity first started that they were going to miss the boat on Nikki because they were giving her something that just didn't fit her. But I'm glad that it's worked out for her and that she just is too good to let something that probably isn't going to work out for anybody else in Sanity hold her back. Yeah, I mean, she took, like I said, took the ball and ran with it and has made herself into an even bigger commodity, I think, going forward. Um, so, yeah, so that's my number 17. All right, my number 16, you have higher since you haven't said them yet, but David Starr. 
Uh, yeah, I have him higher. So my number 16, I think you said him just a couple ago, is Speedball Mike Bailey. Yeah, I have Speedball at, looks like 18. I'm going to let you start with Speedball, because I've been, I've been taking up these, uh, <laughs> these double talk ones. Uh, well, if my dog can get off of me, um, Speedball is someone where it sucks that he's had to miss so much time in the U.S. Um, with the travel, um, with his, um, travel, um, being revoked, um, but in the time that he's been away, I think he's grown leaps and bounds as a wrestler. While I loved him a lot while he was in the U.S. and doing a lot of things, um, in CZW and PWG and Evolve, um, and wherever else he showed up, I felt like people kind of thought Speedball was one-dimensional, that he was just this karate kid character. And in the last two years, especially this year, I feel like he's shown that he's much more than that and that he's become super well-rounded. Um, to start the year off, he has this fantastic match against Hiroshima. Uh, a great match with Zack Sabre Jr. at the cockpit show that I know you'll have a lot to say about. Uh, I think he and um, Kanesuke Takashita um, and their feud for the KO, um, KOD title definitely opened a lot of eyes and for me really showed me the potential there is for a speedball heel run if he went all the way with it. I know that he did it in IWS with the whole being corrupted by California thing. But I really just love this disingenuous, insincere, bold Dallas-esque character of smiling and laughing and having this um friendly facade, but having this insidious underbelly to all these like seemingly go happy go lucky mannerisms. Um I thought the Kanesuke Takashita match was the best New Japan was the best non New Japan match that happened in Japan for a while this year. Uh you just saw it, but the Mike Bird match from Attack that just happened recently is fucking incredible. It's something that definitely boosts his case. The fucking Osprey match from the What Culture World Cup is one of my favorite matches that happened all year. And features maybe my favorite spot to happen all year, which is a shooting star Meteora, which I absolutely still go gaga for. But yeah, I think his pacing has gotten better. I think he's really good at controlling a match. I mean, I didn't even mention his Sunny Kiss match from C4, which featured a lot of creative spots and featured Speedball controlling the match and letting Sunny Kiss work from underneath. Uh, yeah, it was in a really good tag match teaming with, uh, Kazusada Higuchi going up against Kanesuke Sakashita and Diego. I just love everything this guy does. And it's a shame, and it's a shame to me that because he's working in mainly uh, Japan and Europe, that people aren't seeing how much he's grown as a performer. Because if people if people were big were a big fan of him back in his PWG and CZW runs, then they'd be really impressed by how how far he's came in the last year or so. Yeah, I mean. He's been amazing this year. Um, really put it together in a way that I did not expect. Uh, as someone who was a fan of his, uh, but I did not see. And one match um, that you didn't mention that kind of showed it to me because it was one of the first matches that I saw from him early on uh, against Josh Alexander. He had a match against him again this year, um, early in the year in C4, that showed me just how much he's changed. Um, he, I mean, he was really one dimensional 
back when I first saw that match from early on in his career compared to now. Um, he's really a lot more multifaceted as a wrestler. Um, his UK stuff is really spotty, honestly. Even his Canada stuff is pretty spotty. Um, but his solid work is primarily in DDT. Now, that's not to say that his stuff in Canada and England or in, um, in England isn't great, but it's just like it's few and far between. Not a lot of storyline stuff going on there. Um, I thought Ambition Weekend, he had really good matches, uh, ACH match. Um, when I say Ambition Weekend, that really shows what matters to me. Um, <laughs> the 16 Carat Weekend. Um, his ambition match with with Riddle, I thought was great. Oh, yeah, and this is coming after. Yeah, I didn't even mention his Riddle stuff, which he having two Riddle matches in the same day, and those are being those are completely different, which is an incredible feat to me. And different from one of the what I would put as a match of the year level match from the year before and beyond between the two. Mm-hmm. Then they come back and have two totally different matches that are just as good. Um, yeah, the, I mean the guy is just phenomenal. Always has great matches with Mao, who's a guy who I really like in DDT. Um, he has a um, Jordan Devlin match in OTT from early in the year that I, that I forgot to mention. That was really yeah. good too. Nice. Uh, Aston Smith, one of Aston Smith's best matches that I've seen this year. Not a guy that I really like that much, but still, that's saying something. Um, yeah, the guy is just uh, really good. The four-way in WXW for the for the world title, Jan Simmons, Dieter, and Walter. I thought he was great in that match as well. Uh, what culture in the World Cup? Good match with Kyle O'Reilly. Good match with uh, Travis Banks. Well, I forgot to mention that stuff. I really loved um, Mike Bailey versus Brent, versus Brent Banks. I love that Kyle O'Reilly match, and I think if it just happened in a um, promotion that isn't as uh, eye-rolled or hated as what culture, that it would have gotten a lot more praise. Mm-hmm. Um, probably my favorite match of the King of DDT tournament against Endo, um, actually, which is probably kind of crazy for other people, but I just really, really loved that match. Um, you talk about the Takashita title match. I mean, we did a podcast about it, so obviously we both really enjoyed that match. Um, and then, yeah, he has like this really awesome charisma with Bucks Belmar every time. These guys have mixed it up over the years, being they're both from Canada. They always have really cool matches. They had an IWS match here this year that was really good. Um, Bucks Belmar coming out of retirement, I think, right around the same time. Uh, Smash Wrestling did him and Bobby Lashley uh, that I loved, just completely loved. Um, him versus Tom Lawler in C4. I thought I talked about Tom Lawler when I talked about that match. When I talked about Tom Lawler, um, the match with Kushida in What Culture is fantastic. Um, the match with Will Ospreay for the, for the, in the World Cup match was really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, the guy has a lot of great matches. And then there's the big one that you kind of mentioned, which for me, big one for me, um, the match with Zack Sabre Jr. at the cockpit. Uh, we both have talked about how much we love the cockpit shows. I think for us, the cockpit shows are kind of the best shows that RevPro puts on throughout the year. Um. And that match against Zack Sabre Jr. I think ends up in my match of the year list. Um, I think it probably flies under a lot of people's radar, but it's it's been a mixture of uh, amazing and befuddling to me the entire year. I just can't really put my finger on it. And me and you kind of talked it through the other day, and I think it really kind of kind of hammered home the idea of what uh, what it is with that match that kind of tickled my fancy. It's that it was like the optimum dream match. And you rarely see that. Uh, it was this kind of concept of like, oh, what would it be like to see Mike Bailey versus Xavier Jr.? And they completely delivered on like kind of every account of what you were hoping for. It was a mixture of both styles. 
Um, there was a lot of great underdog selling from from Speedball. Zach as a cocky prick asshole, domineering on the top. Underdog babyface fire from Speedball that was great. It was also reined in and not insane. Like Speedball kind of got sometimes in PWG. It was like within balance. It wasn't nutty. It was just – it was really this perfect – dream match that just never happens there's so many times you like oh imagine if these guys faced each other what it would be like and it never delivers but that one really delivered exactly what i was hoping for in the match and and i think is part of why like it was it was reserved it wasn't crazy it didn't it didn't like slap me in the face but i think that's why it was just so well balanced that i like really appreciated it um loved his match against josh bodum for the uh for the British Cruiserweight title, uh, and Josh Bodum's a guy who I'm like hit or miss with. I thought that match was really good. And then you talk about that Mike Bird match. Um, that match was fucking great and had some really cool spots. We talked about it earlier on the, on the first part of the show. So, um, yeah, he's just a, uh, all around amazing wrestler. Um, flies under the radar for a lot of people just due to not being in America and not being in the same places that he was before. But I mean, still putting together a really, really great list of, of matches year after year, continuously just getting better and better. All right. And to move on, that was your 16, right? That is my 16, yes. All right. And 15, a guy where he missed your list last year, and I'm going to be very disappointed if he has missed it again. But my number 15 is Kento Miyahara. Um, yeah, he did. Damn, man. <laughs> and No, but here's the thing is I watched him this year. Last year... I hadn't seen the matches. This year I saw the matches and I just wasn't into it. Right. I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. I watched and, – and the thing is he would have been on my list last year if I had watched the matches before we did the list because I really did love him in his title reign last year. But this year I just didn't see it. And I watched like pretty much everything. I watched all the cha- uh, Champions Carnival. I watched all of his title matches. I just didn't get into him. So, I mean, change my mind. Tell me why I'm wrong. Um, I feel like every time he was in a singles match this year, this guy just fucking delivered. Um, against Kai, against Jake Lee, against Shuji in both title matches, um, against Takao Amori, against the bodyguard of all fucking people, um, against Suwama, against Joe Doring. Uh, you know, it's just, for me, I don't think anyone really just goes as hard as Kento when it comes to these singles matches. Like, I don't think Ken- I don't think Kento leaves anything... I don't think Kento leaves, like, anything off the table. I feel like he's just going to go out there and give his all. He's going to sell his ass off, and he's going to have, like, very genuine-feeling comeback spots, even if it's kind of formulaic. Um, I think he I think he knows how to change, his, uh, change it up more than people give him credit for, um, especially in regards to that bodyguard match where they were in Osaka... And he let the bodyguard um, fight, from, fight from underneath as, a, as opposed to doing the typical Kento formula. I love the Suwama match um, from, I want to say, October, um, as it was the first um, Triple Crown match after the big Sumo Hall show. And that was just Kento getting his leg torn apart and selling the hell out of it. I love the Kai match and how it really showed people that Kai can get Kai can be great still, but Kento was there just destroying his leg. The Jake Lee match where he's facing his tag team partner and they just go all out and it feels like a star making performance for Jake Lee. Uh, Takao Mori, a guy that's up there in age and they've had plenty of singles matches against each other, but they just keep delivering. 
even if people aren't ever particularly interested in them, whenever those matches happen and I watched them, like, damn, that was really fucking good. Um, great tag team work, still great in trios matches. So it's not like he takes the night off. Uh, for me, even if it was a year where he didn't have the belt throughout the entire time, Kento Miyahara still felt must watch. And that's something that I think we talked about earlier with uh, a year in Simmons is that when he has the belt, it feels elevated. But even when he doesn't have the belt, he's does feel like he's still important and like the biggest deal in the company. Yeah, that's very, very fair. But I just, I guess I just, I just didn't get into a lot of his matches. Um, I thought the bodyguard was good, but I actually saw, thought there was better bodyguard matches this year. Um, and I just uh, didn't. Uh, Certainly, um, and like I said, I I would have had him on my list last year if I had watched the matches in time. But this year, I just uh, probably would still have not him on my list. Um, my number fifteen, I don't think you'll have honestly. Um, is Fred Yehi? Uh, Fred Yehi, Fred Yehi higher. Oh, you do, Jesus. Okay. All right, my number fourteen. I know you have higher, but it's Jonathan Gresham. Yeah, I've got him higher. So my number 14, maybe, I don't remember if you said him earlier, Mark Haskins? I had Mark Haskins at 30. Okay. So Mark Haskins has been literally the best wrestler on the planet. Uh, as soon as he got back, um, at times he is just impressively amazing. Um when he shows back up after his injury, he has a just killer match of the year contender match against Mark Andrews. Um, solid match against Matt Riddle. Um, continues to have great matches throughout progress. Uh, Axel Dieter. He's just the guy that you could, they stick him in anywhere. Uh, random title match against Pete Dunne in Orlando in a great match. Uh, title match against Zack Sabre Jr. in, in Orlando. Great match. I mean, uh, matches against Travis Banks repeatedly in great matches. Uh, Lucha Forever, he gets the, the title and then starts a heel run that's phenomenal. Uh, that heel run actually transitions into a heel run in progress that's been really good so far. Um, great mix, uh, you know, as the veteran in a, in like a three-way match with him and Banks and Strickland, um, able to really kind of lead and control the match. Uh, great matches with Tyler Bates repeatedly. Great match with Kyle Fletcher. Um, tagging with Havoc, like I talked about, becomes like this really cool, just dynamic that they have together that then continues to grow and is just super awesome and fun to watch. Um, great match with Austin Theory when he comes, shows back up in New York for the, uh, the, uh, Evolve 91 and then leading into, uh, uh, Bola this year. The match with Travis Banks to open up was really fucking good. Banks pass match match, uh, Bola weekend, uh, this year. Uh, just uh, really just fucking phenomenal uh, the whole way through. Last Man Standing match with Chris Widgeway. Super great drama, violent, aggressive, phenomenal stuff. Um, yeah, I just uh, really, really big fan of the dude. Has some really great matches. Uh, just fucking oozes intensity. Um, really comes back from retirement and essentially is just better than ever. Um all heart, all drama, all emotion, technically crisp, precise, 
super cool spots. Uh, bringing in the wife to have this dynamic character with deeper emotion and storytelling involved. Um, just, uh, yeah, just one of the best, one of the best going, uh, one of the easiest to appreciate his matches for me just because of his mix of style and, and everything that he does. Uh, just, uh, I, yeah, I just fucking love the dude. So that's kind of my, uh, my take on Haskins. What do you got on Haskins here? Um, there's also a couple matches that you didn't mention that I really liked. Um, the Zack Sabre Jr. match from WrestleMania weekend at uh, Mercury Rising, I thought was very good. Um, a match you really liked, um, from the Dream Tag Team Invitational from the second night, Travis Banks versus Mark Haskins. Um, but yeah, everything you said, the fact that this guy came back from like the brink of retirement again is kind of nuts. And then not only that, came back and was able to com- like compete at a high level, literally right away in his first match it is fucking insane. Um, the tag team with Jimmy Havoc, I'm in the camp where I didn't really like the story, where it was going. Um, as far as when it was a single speed between the two, and now that they've joined them together in this like unholy trinity with um, Vicky Haskins in the middle of it, um, they're this intimidating and aggressive and gruesome tag team that just annihilate and destroy people. I'm not sure if you ever got to that match, but uh, Jack Sexsmith and Matt Riddle versus Jimmy Havoc and Mark Haskins from Chapter 57 is really great stuff. But yeah, everything you said about Mark Haskins and just perennially just one of the best wrestlers in the world. And I feel like he's just always going to be one of those guys that just floats in that like top 10, top 15 um, range of just being one of those guys where you start listing off who's been the best this year and you just can't go far without naming him. Yeah, I just, I agree with you in every way there. Uh, that match, the tag team match was just starting when I paused the show last night when I went to sleep. So that's, uh, on the docket to be watched next. Um, so we're on 13 now, right? Yeah, you're 13 here. All right, my 13, you haven't said yet, so you have higher, but uh, Liverpool's number one, Zach Gibson. I don't. I do not. He did not make my top 50, unfortunately. Wow. He, I know, and you know that I was in love with him all last year. That but is he, shocking. He ended up in the 60s. Let me check here. 60, 68, actually, is where he ended up. Damn. Like, um, yeah, hard drop for him, but I just, I didn't like the Grizzled Young Vets team. Uh, yeah, I guess you and, should get into, like, what led to such a big drop, because... Yeah, I go, like, I mean, yeah, like, this is kind of shocking for me. <laughs> I don't like the Grizzled Young Vets team. I feel like he's disappeared a lot of places. He's not showing up as much. Um, it doesn't have the same focus that he used to have. His... His promo work, while still works, is becoming, to me, it's becoming the same thing over and over again to the point where it's just really annoying, even if the crowd gets into it. And I almost kind of feel that the crowd is doing it in a postmodern way where they just feel like they're hitting their spot they're supposed to boo, and it's not really about heat like it used to be. Um, And I just think, like I said, I think his work itself in the ring hasn't been as focused and as good as it used to be, especially in tag team settings, um, unfortunately, because I do think he still has that that... Skill, and I think that he could still be a top-level guy. I just think he's uh, he's missing it. He's missing the chance to do all that work. Um, 
So I guess where we differ is that I really do enjoy the Grizzled Young Vets team. Um, honestly, before Havoc and Haskins came around, I thought, the, I thought that was the team that was really going to give the UK tag scene the kicking ass it needed as far as a heel tag team that was actually heelish and aggressive and mean and nasty. Um, I still think the Grizzled Young Vets offer that. Um, it gives James Drake um, something to do and I think like unlocks the potential he had hidden in him that people... I guess weren't really seeing when he first started popping up. Um, credit that to, credit that to Zach Gibson, who just, uh, I don't know, just a really dependable guy and will always be able to get the best out of somebody. I think he was able to get the best out of somebody like a Dan McGee early on in the year. Dan McGee, who's a trainee at RevPro, and Zach Gibson is having a compelling match with him uh, early on in the Jack Sexsmith run when people weren't really sure what to make of Jack Sexsmith in this whole... Um, being taken seriously thing, and they go out there and have a great match of progress. Uh, excuse me. I think Zach Gibson had a phenomenal uh, run as future Shock World Champ. Uh, with James Drake by his side, being uh, this cheating heel that did all the James uh, did all his um typical Zach Gibson stuff, but um I guess a little bit more underhanded than uh but than before. Uh. I think he, I think he walks that line perfectly with being able to make fun of himself and make himself be the butt of a joke while also being able to be taken seriously as a credible ass kicker and threat and big menace because he is a very big dude. So even if he is a joke one night, you can be scared of him the next. Uh, one of his signature spots this year has become him slipping on the turnbuckle. And in turn, that leads to him getting pinned or rolled up or whatever. And I think that's a very brilliant um, touch by him. Uh, the Progress New York match against Jack Gallagher as a surprise since Pete Dunn got injured was fantastic and probably better than I think Pete Dunn and Gallagher would have done, honestly. I think the Beyond match against John Silver was very good, too, for a good mid-card match between a very likable and determined babyface against this big, formidable heel. Um, I still think he's the best heel in wrestling. Granted, I think the booing has become part of his act now, but I still think that when he talks in the microphone and he gathers more and more and more heat, they're not just booing him because you're supposed to boo Zach Gibson. I think he's also eliciting that reaction um, and earning it, too. Uh... So, yeah, I think still being the best heel in wrestling, probably the undisputed best heel in wrestling this year to me, through and through, because there are guys that I think have better, that I, there are guys who I think have had better heel performances, like a Zack Sabre Jr., like a Thatcher, like a Pete Dunne, but they're not through and through heels. They're not heels in every promotion where they are. Every single place that Gibson goes, he is a heel. So, to me, that is the mark of being the best heel in wrestling. And when you're getting strong heat in every single promotion and you're having quality matches, them being a good roadblock for anybody, or you can be the top guy, or you can be in an awesome tag team, then I just have to have you high on my list. Yeah, and he is a kind of plug-and-play guy. You can, he's Like you said, he's the same everywhere. He gets the same reaction everywhere. He plays the same character everywhere, so it really does work in that regard. Um, his OTT stuff has been good this year. Maybe I should have been paying attention to Future Shock, and that would have helped him. But also part of it, too, is he. this is like – this year has been the story of my kind of falling out of love with progress. And even uh, even someone like uh, Mark Haskins, who did a good job, good work in progress, 
to me, made more of a case outside of progress than he did within. And Zach, Zach Gibson, unfortunately, a lot of his best stuff, I think, was in progress. And it just it's just not resonating with me, unfortunately. All right. To move on, who's your 13? My 13 is, I think you just said him a little bit ago, a little bit ago but it's Keith Lee. Uh, I had Keith Lee at 28. 28. So uh, I'll let you start on Keith Lee. How's that sound? Um... Or actually, let me do it. Yeah, let me go for it, because you just got done talking. How's that? Go ahead. Uh, Okay, so Keith Lee, great matches with Donovan Dijak repeatedly. Um, Always these really cool, groundbreaking matches. Uh, Fantastic match with David Starr early in the year. Um, Still wrapping up his ROH stuff. All of those tag matches in ROH were always fucking great. Um, I just thought that the the Pretty Boy Killers was such a good tag team. Unfortunately, cut short due to that. Um, They had good matches in... uh, in Beyond early in the year, I talked about it with EYFBO, talked about it with the Hit Squad. Um, from there, good stuff in Texas. Um, great match with Sammy Gravara in, uh, in, in Inspire this year. Um, really, probably Sammy Gravara's best match. Um, phenomenal match from Keith Lee. Uh, Keith Lee, his push in, in Evolve really continued to move on and was creating some really cool stuff. Uh, gets a big win on Zack Sabre Jr. the night before Zack wins the title. Um, He's been just a breakout star in, in PWG. The crowd fell in love with him instantly. Uh, good stuff with Leo Rush in a lot of different places. Good stuff with Ricochet in a few different places. Great matches with Jeff Cobb in a few different places. Um, just really an all-around guy who oozes big, larger-than-life charisma. Um, you could say biggest stumbling block may have been the match with Kyle O'Reilly. People didn't like the finish on that. I liked the match up until the end. Um, also the match with, uh, in beyond against Mike Elgin. I think a lot of people may have not liked as much. I, I thought it was fine. Uh, not his best work. Um, match with Pentagon in AAW for the heritage title. I thought was, was worked really well. Uh, Keith Lee or Trevor Lee match in PWG was fucking great. Um, again, match with Fred Yehi. I thought was really good. Um, just, yeah, like I said, oozes big time charisma, has a bunch of good matches with Matt Riddle as well. Uh, decent match with Ethan Page and Evolve, which is impressive because it's Ethan Page. Um, just, uh, yeah, just a guy who, uh, who really leaps off the page again. Big time star presence, can have good matches with everyone, can mix up his style, which you don't kind of expect from a big man like him, but he can. Um, he can go balls to the walls, high octane with Dijak when he needs to be. He can be the giant beating up the little, the little guy. He can also get worked over if he needs to be. He can kind of do it all. Um, showed his wind, showed his stamina in, in Bola, uh, making it all the way to the finals, never getting gassed out. Um, loved his match with Ray Phoenix, loved the match with Dijak, match with Walters, fucking great. Um, just the final itself, I thought probably the best PWG Bola final in years. Um, just, yeah, the guy is, uh, he's just a, a freak of nature. You watch him and you just, you gotta stop and stare when you see him in person, when you see him in the building, you just have to kind of continue to look at him. You can't, uh, you cannot look away. Unfortunately, he's just, uh, he's just too much. He draws your attention. He's, like I said, able to work psychology, drama, big matches, small matches, lucha libre. He can do it all. And it's really impressive for a guy his size, um, at his age to be able to pull off so much. Um, well, I did have Keith Lee very high and I think he's had 
a tremendous output and has shown a ton of variety this year. Um, I think this year was also kind of exposing him, honestly. Um, in 2016, when we first get introduced to Keith Lee, because uh, on a widespread scale, because he starts working in uh, Beyond, and then that opens the doors for everybody else to get their eyes on him. You know, he's this big, like, oh, man, where'd this guy come from? We can, he can do this? Where has he been this whole time? And I'm glad people got to discover him, too. Like, I'm not, like, opposed to that. But I think, to me, 2017 showed that we should probably keep Keith Lee as a special attraction and that we probably shouldn't try to build around him. He doesn't seem like a guy that we should be building promotions around. Um, I think that was clear and evolved to me as we got closer to him winning the WWN title. Um, I don't know. Something about Keith just hasn't clicked with me as much as I would have liked it to this year. It's not to the same degree as like Shane Strickland or um, Phoenix or uh, Tony Storm as to where I expected them to have big 2017s and I just wound up not caring as much. But I don't know. To me, it just felt like Keith Lee firmly established himself as a special attraction and not somebody that I could see a promotion building building itself around. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. You can still be uh, a special attraction and do your job and have great matches and draw and do all that stuff. But for Keith Lee, someone so talented and charismatic um, and as versatile as he is, I was just hoping we would see a year where I could see Keith Lee be, like, being the top guy in a promotion. And as it stands right now, I'm not sure he can do that. I can see where you're coming from based on on the kind of the stuff that happened in Evolve WWN, but I mean his his championship run in Inspire I thought was done really well, and he came across like a big deal and the top guy. And I think that in PWG right now, I think he feels like he could be the top guy for companies like that. So it is. I think it really depends on the booking and the way that he's used. Um, but yeah, I would we'd have to see. I mean, in what settings he'd be able to pull it off because. He is not the stereotypical top guy. That's that's for sure. And not even in a stereotypical way, I think. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's a different thing to me. Where I see Keith Lee coming to town, and I'm not sure I'll be as interested in seeing him have title defense after title defense after title defense. I have to see how how it's booked and who's booking it and where it is. But granted, a lot of people just aren't are just aren't good at booking world champions and. I feel like Keith Lee goes all over the place so much between once he between what he wants to be and what he wants to do, and that can be a hindrance sometimes with guys that they're so good at everything that they just want to show that off and not like settle down on one thing. Um, that when you're a world champion, you kind of have to, and that I'm not sure Keith Lee is going to be willing to do that. I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from. So, uh, I guess what's your number twelve? My number twelve. You have not said this guy yet. So if he's higher, than, if he's if he's higher on your list, and I have him after you've just kind of not been high high on him this year, I'd be surprised. But uh, number twelve is Matt Riddle. Yeah, no, no Matt Riddle this year for me. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so tell 20, me about him, bro. Get him on. Get him at twenty last year, and that was very controversial. And now, not at all this year. Not in the fifty. I probably have him in my top one hundred. Okay, but. I just I think that he was even I think that my issues with him last year have just gotten worse this year if I'm perfectly honest. Um 
I think it's very easy to take twenty to take Matt Riddle's twenty seventeen for granted. Um, he came on the scene so hot last year, just having great matches with matches with everybody, getting booked everywhere, getting all these dream matches, getting treated like a star. So that it's kind of easy to just take it for granted when it's just more of the same in twenty seventeen. Um. That being said, that doesn't mean that he wasn't having great matches. It doesn't mean that volume-wise he wasn't going out there and having great matches on every single show he was on. Uh, still in Evolve, killing it on pretty much every single show. Whenever he showed up in PWG, I thought the Chosen Bros tag team got a lot better as the year went on. Uh, showing up in every single indie. Rev Pro, Progress, uh all over the world, just coming in, being one of the most in-demand stars all over the world, and killing it every time asked of them. I think what separates them this year is that if you thought that Matt Riddle didn't have the variety last year, then you know what, fine. He kind of stayed in Evolve and wrestled the same guys over and over again, so I could see it then. 2017, this guy is wrestling Gunnar Miller in the Great Sprint. has a great match with Tank in Tank's last match. Uh, a really awesome match with Nick Gage. A uh, really fun match with Nick um, with uh, Matt Tremont and Beyond. Uh, I think the Dijak stuff and Beyond was really good performances on Riddle's end and kind of lacking on Dijak's end, if I'm being honest. But I think what I have to say about Riddle is that I can kind of get being disappointed in some ways by it. Because it was just more of the same. But this is still a guy that's in his second year wrestling, honestly. For me, the fact that this guy has had even bigger output and even bigger variety than he had in 2016 shows improvement, shows growth. And when you, when someone has a year as wildly praised as, as Matt Riddle's was, as being the best rookie year of all time then naturally some people expect it to just be, oh, he's going to be the best wrestler of the year now. He's not just going to be the best rookie. Well, obviously that's just not going to happen that way. And you have to have some kind of semblance of expectations, even if the bar was set so high. The guy is still just outside of my top 10 in his second, like after like two and a half years of being a wrestler. And that is showing something to me. And I think he showed variety and... The fact that he can keep growing, and I think he's the best. Uh, I think he makes fighting spirit spots seem natural. I don't think anybody else does it as naturally as he does. The way he rolls out of a German suplex, um, the way he screams, the bro war cry, all of it just works for him in a way that it just doesn't work for anybody else in the indie scene. It doesn't feel genuine. It just works for him. And I feel like Matt Riddle's kind of found a niche and. That niche may not be for everybody else, but I don't think that turns into the fact that uh, this guy suddenly isn't like one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where you're coming from, and it's partially just that his style, what he does doesn't speak to me. Um, but you make a lot of really good arguments there for him, honestly. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's not a... Uh, He's obviously very good. All right, so my number 12, I think you just said a little bit ago as well, is Jonathan Gresham. I had Gresham at 14. Okay, and I mean, 
If this was just the best technical wrestler kind of thing, I think there's almost no argument to say that John Grisham isn't uh, the winner. If it's just 100% about like in-ring grappling, um, he's probably like number one. Uh, but, I mean, when you account for everything else, um, he does lack a lot of character and charisma early in the year. Um, it's always been an issue for him. I feel like just recently putting it together with Stokely Hathaway... Um, he's really come out of his shell in a way that's, I think, is actually possibly workable as like a top level talent kind of guy. Um, I do think that there's more there. Uh, this year, great matches with Jay Freddy early in the year. Uh, good stuff on ROH TV, uh, battling off and on for the TV title, uh, getting title shots, earning title shots, tagging with uh, Search and Destroy, uh, primarily with the Chris Saban, Alex Shelley, um, having really great matches there. Uh, good stuff in Beyond constantly, really the star of Beyond, always having phenomenal matches. Uh, the Look in California, Feel in Minnesota weekend, good match with Elgin, which is impressive. Good match tagging with the Zack Sabre Jr. against Doom Patrol. Uh, Fred Yehi and Nova Pro, phenomenal match, again, against Jordan Grace and Beyond. Uh, good stuff, match against John Seiler and PWX, average, like, decent, solid match, but John Skyler to me in 2017 was not great. Uh, Flip Gordon match in ROH is good. Uh, turns around and then has a phenomenal match with Flip Gordon and beyond later on for the uh, Powerbomb TV title. Um, great match on ROH TV against Punisher Martinez. I really, really, really loved that match for kind of a squash matchy thing. I thought he did a really good job in, in that setting. Um, match with Tracer X and PWX that I loved, uh, match with TK Orion on ROH TV that I thought was very good. And then, yeah, winning the Powerbomb TV title. He is mixing in this integration of cool heel stuff, uh, working with Stokely, the jumping stomps, the working over the body parts, the just being a total shit as this little, like, five foot three, uh, you know, a hundred pounds soaking wet, little nothing as this fucking ruthless asshole heel is just so, so good. And so, like, he's just really, really believable there. Um, so yeah, I'm just, uh, Super high on the guy, amazing technical wrestler, has great matches with anyone, no matter how uh, experienced they are, no matter how talented they are, whatever it is, he always has great matches. Um, really good on ROH TV, honestly, the star of on ROH TV up until the point where I stopped watching, which is like in the middle of the year, um, probably continued to be the star of the ROH TV after that point. Um, as I did see some stuff here and there, he would always be, he's always the guy that I would go out of my way to look for his matches, even on ROH TV still after I stopped paying attention. Um, so yeah, just, uh, all around phenomenal worker. Uh, as I talked about putting together that charisma, really starting to feel like a champion, carrying himself like a champion now as the Powerbomb TV title. Um, and then that match with Nick Gage just a couple weeks back, um, really, again, showed Nick Gage had a good match with David Starr, with John Grisham that weekend. I think I preferred the John Grisham match. Uh, I think Grisham really brought it out of Nick, and it wasn't just a death match with barbed wire and all this. He actually had a lot more um, to it. So, uh, to me, I just think, yes, immensely talented uh, in a, pretty much every possible way. Um, clearly one of the best in-ring wrestlers on the planet, and just uh, has just talent in spades, I guess. Ah, damn it, I shouldn't have said that. That's, like, slightly racist. Uh, <laughs> that could be seen as, like, a weird racial rumor. No, uh, he's just, like, 
immensely talented. It's just like fucking insane how good he is, honestly. Um, so tell me why he did, he he was so low on your list. Why didn't you have him any higher, huh? <laughs> um, I had Gresham a lot lower last year, and I feel like I just didn't fully appreciate him and what he was doing um all throughout the world. Now I think I was just looking at him every single time he showed up this year, and I'm like, I don't think per performance there was anybody better than Jonathan Gresham this year. Maybe somebody that I have higher, and that we'll talk about that on the third part. But per performance, there aren't many people that I could be like, well, well, um, this person was great in this match, even if the match wasn't great. And this happened with Gresham so many times this year, where even if the match itself wasn't great, Gresham is always great in it. Against Brian Cage and American Rana, having a damn near four-star match by himself, pretty much. And it's not to say that Cage was bad in it. Cage was um selling his leg and um had great power and stuff, but that was a Gresham performance. Um against Jay Freddy, against Will Ferrara. Um you mentioned the John Skyler match. I do love that match. Um I'm also I think I'm also higher on Skyler twenty seventeen than you, but that's fine. Um the Doom Patrol match is real good. And I'm not sure if you mentioned the Michael Elgin match that was really good. Uh the four way with Aggression, Jay Freddy, uh David Starr and Joey Janella was really good. I just feel like every time I see the guy, I just get wowed. And it's not that he's having four-star matches or whatever every single time he's out there. It's just that every single time he's in the ring, you feel like you're watching the best wrestler in the world. And not many people have that quality. And I can't believe we like did all this without even mentioning the first uh, Fred Gay high match with Nova Pro, which was absolutely stellar um, mat-based wrestling and great logical pro wrestling. Uh, and, they had a, and they had a rematch. Uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago that I'm really excited to see whenever that goes up on Powerbomb TV. He's also facing Sanjay Dutt very soon, which should be excellent. So yeah, just Gresham, every time he is on my screen, I come away thinking, damn, like this might be the best wrestler on the planet. And even if his high-end stuff doesn't match the guys that are above him, that doesn't change the fact that whenever I see Gresham, I'm just like blown away. Yeah, and the the Fred Yehi match, the first one was phenomenal. I haven't seen the second one yet either. I'm really excited to see the rematch just because of how good the first match was. Um, yeah, you you know what you hit a you hit the nail on the head there is that he when you watch him wrestle, you feel like he's the best wrestler on the planet, and that's like really really impressive that he has that aura of, of to his to his work and to every one of his matches. Um, okay, so that was my. 12, I guess. What's your number 11? Uh, and uh, my number 11, uh, now that we're on this number, we'll be able to wrap it up after this. But my number 11 is Will Ospreay. Talk about him. Uh, did not make your list, I see. Um, oh, that's I, I was going to, yeah. I thought maybe you would thought he would, but uh, no, he did not. Um yeah, let me hear. Let me hear about Osprey because I just didn't see it this year. Um, I've said it pretty much the entire year that this was a year of significant growth for the guy. Um, I thought that was evident as early as February of this year, and really, I thought it was evident in early twenty six. I mean, in late twenty sixteen, when he officially turns um on Jimmy Havoc, um, and turns heel in progress, and I think. Um, though well, that 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 um show technically came out this year, so um, 
I count that as for his 2017 resume. But um, that match again, but that match again, um, in unboxing live against Jimmy Havoc is fucking tremendous and an amazing Will Ospreay performance where that story and everything behind it is purely told by Will Ospreay's facial expressions. Um, from the scowls, the disgust, the anger, the disdain, the apprehension, the fear. He goes through a whole range of emotions because he's facing a man that put him through hell. And then he's looking at him the next, like for the first time in a long time and he's getting cheered. And Will Ospreay doesn't know how to react, especially coming off this big losing streak. And at the end of it, Will Ospreay just snaps. Uh, I love this match against Mark Andrews from Chapter 45, uh, where they come up with a finish on the fly based on the fact that the top rope snapped. Uh, I really love the blow-off feud ender at Chapter 46 against Jimmy Havoc. It's kind of goofy. There's a lot going on. It's overbooked. But it tells the story of these two guys that have been intertwined for such a long time. And it is this poetic ending to this feud that saw both men go through hell. Will Ospreay saw this company that he fought tooth and nail to save and um, keep away from the evil hands of Jimmy Havoc, then praise Jimmy Havoc and worship the ground he walks on. And Will Ospreay is sitting here losing, and then he's expected to be this guy to shake hands and let bygones be bygones. And he doesn't allow that. Uh... I thought his work in New Japan this year was really good for the most part. I thought uh, the Best of Super Juniors final was really good against Kushida and possibly is like a top 10, 15 match whenever I get around to rewatching it. I thought the uh, King of Pro Wrestling match against Kushida was really great. But I think he really makes that late push um, around August, September. Uh, when that What Culture World Cup starts to get, um, kick into high gear, he just goes on this incredible run going up against Speedball, Rey Mysterio, Ricochet, and Kushida in a span of two nights, or three nights, really. Um, the Rey Mysterio match was this great uh, sort of a student versus teacher matchup going uh, with the psychology of the 619 and building to that spot, and um, who can hit their big move first. Uh just very well built and very well paced that felt like an actual dream match and delivered on that level fully. Uh, the speedball match, which I was talking about with speedball's case earlier is one of the uh, biggest bangers of the year. Uh, super exciting, high flying stuff, unique reversals and creative stuff that only those two could probably pull off. The ricochet match, the, another installment of their feud where I think Bellasbury doesn't get enough credit for having different matches with most with most of the guys he faces. Uh, even if I don't want to watch the matches a lot of the time, I feel like he usually is pretty good at adding a new wrinkle into whenever he faces the guy again. Uh, I think that showed pretty well against Zack Sabre Jr. at Global Wars Night 2, where with a firmly heel Zack Sabre Jr., Bellasbury and Zack Sabre Jr. had a completely different match than anything they've had in the last two years. A lot of this comes from the fact that... Um, well, Ospreay spent so much time in Australia and New Zealand, and he's having great matches against uh, Robbie Eagles and Adam Brooks, and um, had eventually led to a triple threat against them um, at a big MCW show. And I think that Robbie Eagles match is utterly fantastic. It's hard-hitting. It's nasty as hell. Um, so other than just having great matches 
and just a ton of them to boast. I think his pacing got better. I think his striking is world's world's better to the point where he's probably one of the best strikers in all of wrestling, and I'm firmly comfortable saying that. He's still one of the best flyers. He can be a great heel when he wants to. He can still do great tag team wrestling. He can be a genuinely rootable for babyface. Even with all the social media stuff and everything that's kind of like ruined, like believing in that. When he wrestles, I think I'm still able to like believe in Will Ospreay. Um, I don't know. I just feel like watching this guy grow so much after seeing a 2016 where it kind of felt like he was lashing out at critics and going overboard on things that he knew made them mad. I thought 2017 was a return to Willow Spray trying to focus on just being the best wrestler he can and not letting other things get to him. It's a fair case. Um, he definitely had some big matches in there. You didn't even mention the uh, Attack Pro match against Pete Dunne that I thought was yeah, really match. fucking good. Um, the first match of DTTI against Travis Banks, that was really good. Yes, that match was also great. Um, I'll give him this. Uh, when What Culture Pro Wrestling booked the you know Mr. and Mrs. match with Ricochet and uh, Tessa Blanchard versus Osprey and uh, B. Presley, he was definitely the second best member of his team. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give him that much. I'll say that. No, um, you know, I, I, I don't hate the guy. Um, wrestling-wise, personally, he seems like a bit of a dipshit, uh, but that's not what we're judging here. But a whole lot of the same, a whole lot of nothing, a whole lot of flips for the sake of flips, a few really, really, really good matches in there. Um, you talked about it, but I think he's just a little bit too immature to stick to shit that he says, and one of the glaring things to me is like kind of cutting this teary-eyed promo about I'm going to be so committed to Australia now and I'm going to move here and live here and he hasn't been back yeah. uh, since then and so it's just I think when he's on he's definitely one of the best in the world um, I think that he shows some of the best talent around I just think that he has like no self-control uh, no ability to just focus and have like these good matches every time. He wants to have fun in wrestling, and I think that it affects a lot of stuff uh, because that's he cares more about that. Um, I don't know. Did you mention the Jay White match in ROH? That yeah, match didn't even, yeah, didn't even yeah, phenomenal. Didn't, yeah, I didn't even mention the Jay White match from uh, Best in the War, War of the Worlds, I think, um, and the Flip Gordon match that I love from Global Wars. So yeah, yeah, yeah I love both of those matches too. So. Again, like, there's had, just so many Will Ospreay matches. <laughs> he has a lot of really good matches, and he probably should be in my top 50, you know, but I just... He just annoys me, and it makes me hard to enjoy his matches because there's so much talent there that's wasted. Um, no, I get it. Like, this is a personal list, too. So, like, this is also like, going to come down to, like, personal feelings in some way. Just like I was, so like I didn't, I don't care about Tony Storm. So like realistically, she has like a output that matches top fifty. I just don't care about her. And right. when someone like actively annoys you, there, there's probably just a better chance they're not going to make your list. Like have you noticed, like Sammy Callahan hasn't popped up on either of our lists. <laughs> yeah, well, I just figured that's because we both had him number one. <laughs> well, obviously, that's yeah, I mean, of course, low key match match of the year. <laughs> uh, maybe Loki's best match of the year. Um, 
Okay, so my number 11, I am really torn up right now because I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, I wonder if you have him higher. I can't, I honestly kind of think that you don't, and then it's going to be crazy because I think you might not have him on your list at all. My number 11 is Trevor Lee. I have Trevor Lee higher. Oh, okay. Um, that's, that's a pleasant surprise because I thought maybe he didn't make your list. Um, I guess just to say, I mean, that's a, that's a huge drop. Obviously, for me, going from number one last year to number 11, that's a 10-spot drop. Um, but uh, I guess we'll be talking about him later then. Uh, we'll get into that on the next uh, installment of uh, the top 50. Uh, I actually have him, um, in terms of the top 10, kind of low. So we'll be getting to him relatively early when we do that. But uh, that wraps up this installment. Uh did not really do any plugs. Last- S. Lucha. No, um. <laughs> we didn't really do any plugs last time, but um, I'm assuming like, like everybody knows who you are. <laughs> yeah, they'll figure it out. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at QC underscore Moody. If you don't already, if you don't follow me, then I have no idea why you're listening to my podcast. Um, follow me on Untapped at Lucha Undead. Uh, look at the beers that I drink and get jealous because I waited in line. For the newest, hottest, hazy IPA. <laughs> That's my plug. I wish I was a beer guy so I could, like, <laughs> dev, like um, revel in, like, all these fancy beer names you have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that's it for this time. Uh, part three will be coming to your ear holes shortly. So thanks for listening. 